You want to know, here's an easy, an easy way to know if you are controlled. Is there somebody or something that you're not allowed to criticize? That's right. Simple as that. If you lived in Nazi Germany, you couldn't criticize the Nazi party. If you lived in the Soviet Union, you couldn't criticize the Communist Party of Russia. If you live in China right now, you can't criticize the Chinese Communist Party. If you live in North, Viet in North Korea, you can't criticize Kim Jong-un. If you live in Cuba, you can't criticize the Cuban Communist Party. If you live in America, who can't you criticize? Who can't you criticize in America? You want to know, here's an easy, an easy way to know if you are controlled. Is there somebody or something that you're not allowed to criticize? That's right. Simple as that. If you lived in Nazi Germany, you couldn't criticize the Nazi party. If you lived in the Soviet Union, you couldn't criticize the Communist Party of Russia. If you live in China right now, you can't criticize the Chinese Communist Party. If you live in North, Viet in North Korea, you can't criticize Kim Jong-un. If you live in Cuba, you can't criticize the Cuban Communist Party. If you live in America, who can't you criticize? Who can't you criticize in America? You know, uh, this morning, the 193 member states of the United Nations approved the political declaration on pandemic prevention, preparedness, and response. In May 2024, the 194 member states of the WHO will have their final vote on both of these international agreements. This process takes place behind closed doors. It is not reported nor discussed in our newspapers, in our national parliaments, in universities, nor in society. The WHO claims in these two legal instruments an absolute and non-questionable leadership in all health matters as soon as WHO refers itself to pandemic prevention. Get a story, topic, or have any other inquiries, please email submit at skibanewsnation.com. Also, you can email Jeremiah Skiba personally at jeremiah at skibanewsnation.com. Also, email Jake personally at jake at skibanewsnation.com. If you want to write us a letter, send us something, help support us, or just say hi, please send your letter to Jeremiah Skiba, P.O. Box 560-271, The Colony, Texas 75056. If you write us a letter, I'll do my best to write you back. Hey, Skiba News Nation family, thank you for watching. Please like, share, subscribe, and click that notification bell so you never miss an episode of Skiba News Nation. If you want to help support us, please consider becoming a Patreon where you will get exclusive content, shoutouts, and much more. And you can also support our channel by getting yourself some new Skiba News Nation merch. Thank you for coming on this journey with us as we continue to stay on the quest for truth. Huge shout out to all our Patreon supporters. Thank you so much for your support. We couldn't do this show without you. If you want to help support us, go to patreon.com forward slash Skiba News Nation.
Also, you can listen to Skiba News Nation podcast on your favorite podcast platform. I want to know what the truth is. And I hope that people, my son, anybody, if my name comes up, whether you like me, whether you agree with me or not, at least you can respect the fact that he's on a quest for truth. He's on a quest for truth. Welcome to Skiba News Nation. Bringing you unfiltered views, news, interviews, discussions, and more. And now, here's your host, Jeremiah Skiba, award-winning musician and son of Rob Skiba. Hey, Skiba News Nation family, welcome to episode 69 of Skiba News Nation, your weekly source of the latest news, controversial topics, conspiracies, forgotten history, and so much more. I'm your host, Jeremiah Skiba, and today we'll be talking about Peru alien attack expedition, the disturbing PSYOP recruitment video, the public was never told about this hidden technology, brief on Israel, FCC commissions on internet control, McAfee hacked South American government before killed, Kids show reveals Illuminati, more reasons for Middle East distraction, the cancel agenda hiding behind the war, an all new Opus Corner, and for history, we'll be talking about Hitler's great escape and how he escaped to South America, memes, and much more, so subscribe and stay tuned. Now as always, I'd like to introduce my great and insightful co-host, one of my closest friends, and he's with us in the studio today, Mr. Jake Grant. Welcome, Jake. Uh, uh, oh, 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 I'm going to pull myself into frame here. All right. <laughs> there he is. Yeah. Finally back in uh, Dallas, Texas, visiting in person so we can do one of these shows where we're, you know, don't have that digital delay to deal with. So it's great to be here. I know. We can talk over each other all the time instead of delays. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, pretty sweet, man. Yeah. It's great to be here, Jeremiah. Uh, Sierra and I are on a long journey and uh, we stopped in through here and this week we're cranking out about a bunch of really cool Skiba News Nation stuff. And, uh, I'm ready to jump in, man. Yeah. We got some great news for this week. All right. Let's dive right in. All right, so this week, let's start off with uh, some memes here, get us focused in on some interesting concepts. Ordinary people have big TVs, extraordinary people have big libraries. That's and uh, I want to bring this up because we were talking about it yesterday in our live stream, just the concept that if the grid goes down, if you don't have access to your phone, uh, you're going to want to have hard copies of the information that you see as valuable. And, uh, and I would encourage people, you know, the, the number one book on your shelf should probably be the, a Bible. Uh, but beyond that, you know, getting access to information, documents online, as we use this tool of the internet to be able to explore 
an alternative view and perspective than what we've been presented with all our lives with the mainstream media, uh, please save things offline. Start to print out copies. Uh, things like uh, Rob's books, things like that. You know, get phys physical things that you can then break out uh, if you don't have access anymore. Um, but just like I said, you know, that number one book you're going to want to have uh, is uh, a Bible. And bring up this next meme here, Opa, is um, a, a very significant statement in Second Peter 3. It says, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. And, uh, and we're seeing a, a lot of really interesting things on the world stage, uh, things that uh, really do hint at uh, coming prophetic fulfillment of the scriptures. You, you see Matthew 24 talks about wars and rumors of wars. What are we seeing in Israel? Wars and rumors of wars and you know World War III is on our, our doorknob. And, uh, and so it's important to keep focused on the most important aspect of this life, which is our faith in our creator and our walk and our belief and uh, in our faith in the Messiah, you know, because that's the foundation that gives us hope, despite all the depressing news you're about to watch. So uh, it's always good to start us off with the, the kind of a crystal clear view of what keeps us grounded. And so um, with that said, uh, I'm going to introduce uh, once again, Baron Dependence, uh, breakdown of the conflict in the Middle East. Uh, I highly respect Baron Dependent. Uh, we've shared a clip several weeks back of him breaking down the situation. Um, we're not going to share the whole video, but I just want to show you know a, a couple minutes of him in his sit rep uh, breakdowns, um, and so that you guys can go check it out on your own and subscribe to that channel because uh, he really does have some great resources uh, that he's built up over the years. Emailing him current kind of tactical information regarding the situation in the Middle East. And so uh, let's go ahead and, and start with that. And uh, we're going to then break down some alternative theories as to why uh, the, the explosive situation in the Middle East is actually happening and how we're being distracted from some very important current events that are just flying under the radar as the mainstream media is promoting pretty much the, just the big fad topics. So. Let's uh, check out a few uh, minutes of Bear's current breakdown of the situation in the Middle East. Good morning, Tato. All right, we're going to talk about, uh, it is, we all going to die Wednesday. And uh, that is a colloquial phrase we use around here, meaning that, hey, you're going to die sooner or later. So in the, in the vein of the Stoics, memento mori, remember you will die. And because you will die, therefore, do important things. Do things that matter today and every day. Because we probably won't die today. But we will die one day. And when you shuffle off this mortal coil, your goal should be to hear at the end of an age, well done, good and faithful servant. Not, well, master, you gave me talents and I buried them in the ground. Here's your talent back. I had a talent to begin with. If I wanted one talent back, I wouldn't have given it to you, buddy. Otay? Otay. I'm going to talk about uh, Israel and Hamas. A little bit of an update on Trump's 2024 election bid. We're going to talk about the southwest corner of Iceland potentially exploding. And also um, 
the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control, are ramping up their testing at airports for SARS-CoV-2, which is an indicator. Um, sorry, I just puked in my mouth a little bit. Who even cares anymore? I don't. I don't care. But they care. And remember, you pay them with your taxpayer dollars. Now, to the brief. Their independent brief, 15 November 2-3. Don't eat the bugs. Mike, I promise you, I will not eat the bugs. I will eat the sheep and the chickens and the turkeys and the cows and the deers and the goats and the bread that we make from the wheat and all the other things. Now, in the sixth week of its offensive, Israel is continuing to target hospitals in Gaza. The nation has repeatedly said that Hamas runs its operations from the tunnels beneath the hospitals and other civilian infrastructure. Fact check. True. Naturally, hospitals are one of the types of civilian infrastructure that is protected during wartime, but as, part of international as a part of humanitarian international law. But if those hospital sites are locations of military activity, all bets are off. So far in Gaza, there have been at least 137 attacks on health facilities because terrorists are a-holes and they co-locate amongst civilian infrastructure. Also, something that most people aren't talking about in places like uh, Ukraine, uh, they of the Gomer region in biblical times. What do you mean biblical times? I don't know. We're probably living in some right now. Um, but a uh, little place called Ukraine, Crimea. Uh, the Russians that nobody's talking about are specifically targeting med medics and ambulances. That's not allowed per international law either. But this funny thing happens with international law during times of conflict. It goes right out the window. Yeah. Uh, now at Al-Shifa, the biggest hospital in Gaza, doctors are refusing to leave the 700 at-risk patients there, fearing that those people would die if left behind. Local health officials have denied Israel's claim that Hamas is hiding in the basement of this hospital. Although, new intelligence reports are coming out over the last 48 hours or so, showing that some pipes have been added from the basement floors of the hospital, which your taxpayer dollars built in 1978, I believe. How's that working out for us? Uh, that these pipes are run from the basement up to the surface. And what are the pipes for? They're for ventilation. Why for ventilation? Because there's way too many people in the basement, a.k.a. terrorists co-located with civilian infrastructure and believed to be, although unsubstantiated, at least at my level of understanding, that some of the hostages that have been taken by Hamas are located underneath that hospital. Don't know, but that's the supposition. Still, the hospital has been so besieged that it had been without refrigeration for days, and morgue staff had to dig a mass grave outside for over 120 bodies. Dr. Manir Al-Bursh, the Director General of the Health Ministry in Gaza, which is like, you know, jumbo shrimp, uh, told CNN, quote, the problem is not the doctors, it's the patients. If they are left behind, they will die, and if they are transferred, they will die on the way. This is the problem, end quote. Palestinian authorities called for a ceasefire on Tuesday for the evacuation of the patients from Al-Shifa Hospital. The Hamas-run health ministry in Gaza now says that over 11,000 people have been killed 
And as the innocent continues to suffer greatly, international pressure is mounting. Global protests by pro-Palestinian protesters, many of whom openly support not just the Palestinian people, but Hamas, the terrorist organization that is co-located with the Palestinian people. Uh, global protests, <clears throat> with many, many, many of them being in excess of 10,000 people or more. There is a wave of global anti-Semitism uh, sweeping the world's nations. See, here's the thing. Terrorist organizations, all the food and fuel and water and medicine and everything else, all the relief that's coming into Gaza is being controlled by the Palestinian health organization or health ministry, whatever they call it, which is overseen by the political arm of Hamas, the terrorists. So like we need fuel to run our generators at the hospital. Hamas is like, thanks. We need that to run our vehicles. Oh, there's no power at the hospital. At what point is that not Hamas's fault? Right? You know what I mean? Like a little, I don't want to jump in that rabbit hole, but it's not that efforts aren't being made. It's that the uh, material is being poorly managed because it's being put into the hands of a terrorist organization. Imagine that. The U.S. carried out strikes against two targets in Syria, which were linked to Iran after American personnel were attacked. In response to that attack, Iranian-backed militants then attacked U.S. forces in both Syria and Iraq in a total of four events. The total number of attacks against U.S. forces in the last month is now at 52, according to defense officials. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin said to reporters, quote, these attacks must stop, and if they don't stop, then we won't hesitate to do what's necessary again to protect the troops. I'm all for protecting troops. I'm not really all for black swan events and cause this bell eye to enter into another war, but um, I don't have any representation in this republic, so my opinion doesn't really matter. And uh, I'm not a defense official. I'm not a lobbyist. I'm a nobody in eastern Oklahoma, which means that we're very likely going to have a war in the Middle East because my opinion doesn't matter. And Neither does yours. Not to them. Speaking of people uh, who would love you to believe that your opinion matters, but it doesn't actually matter. From RT.com today, Russia Today, propaganda. U.S. court clears Trump for White House run. A Michigan judge has ruled that the ex-president can contest the Republican nomination, rejecting an insurrection lawsuit by activists. Former U.S. President Donald J. Trump is eligible to remain on Michigan's 2024 presidential primary ballot for the Republican Party, a state court has ruled. Why does this matter? Well, it matters for a couple of reasons. First of all, I prefer a booming economy and mean tweets to a doddering old moron who is clearly suffering from Alzheimer's doesn't know what room he's in, refers to the vice president as President Harris um, and an absolutely horrendous economy. That's about the extent of my involvement or appreciation for politics these days. Good. Bear Independent always has some interesting kind of information on the situation in the Middle East, uh, kind of a clear cut you know, perspective that doesn't buy into the narratives that 
both the left and right are susceptible to. So that's why I appreciate some of his breakdowns. Uh, March happened, just happened uh, yesterday, um, which was the March for Israel rally in DC. If you want to pull that article up here. Um, and uh, it was very interesting, as he mentioned in the clip, there's a rise in anti-Semitism all across the world. Uh, up at the top, you know, we see here uh, in DC, it was elevated to a SEER one threat level by the Department of Homeland Security, which is very interesting. I mean, I've seen on a lot of debate shows and stuff, guys like Ben Shapiro mm -hmm. arguing with pro-Palestinian uh, kind of sentiment, uh, people saying the Jewish state pretty much needs to be wiped out entirely from sea to river is what uh, I think the phrase has been used. And so we see a, a rise in anti-Semitism. Um, and so I, I wanted to share kind of all of these different elements to build up into these next few videos that I'm going to be sharing. Um, but this, uh, this march had thousands of supporters gathered at the National Mall in Washington, D.C., to show their support for Israel and to demand the release of hostages kidnapped by the terrorist group Hamas on October 7th. Uh, so, you, you know, we had nearly over 100,000 people showing up in Washington recently marching for Israel, and this is being levied against the, the pro-Palestinian movement, which is uh, garnering a very large support across the world. So we see a very divisive uh, topic here with this war in the Middle East. Uh, between Israel and Gaza, and people with sympathy for the Palestinian uh, plight, and those who agree with Israel for stomping out terrorism right on their border. And so while I'm not really kind of laying out a stance on exactly how you should feel about the war right now between Israel and Gaza, these next videos and clips might uh, help you understand what they're slipping through while you're being distracted by that topic. So let's pull up our next uh, thing here. It's the, the group think topic that we uh, it, you know, named one of our early episodes is I support the current thing, right? And so we had 2020, you know, everybody supported the current thing. And then we recently had the Ukrainian conflict. Everybody was on Facebook posting the Ukrainian flag. And now we have uh, the next current thing. And uh, it's interesting because there's now two current things. It's either support the Palestinian plight or support Israel. And it's uh, one of those topics that we see is being used to divide and conquer. It's very interesting. And, and so let's go on to this next clip here. Here's the real reason for the war in Israel. This little strip of water between Egypt and Israel is what's called the Suez Canal. And it accounts for about 12% of the world's GDP and about five to 10% of the world's oil distribution. Now, in 2022, Egypt made about $8 billion in transit fees from the Suez Canal. Not bad for Egypt, but you notice they didn't sit well with the United States, France, the UK, and Israel. The other thing about the Suez Canal is that it's very narrow and it only goes one way. So for six hours a day, ships can only go this way. And then for another six hours a day, ships can only come back this way which economically costs time and money. Then there was an incident back in 2021 where a ship actually jammed the Suez Canal, which cost about $10 billion a day. Not only that, but the United States Pentagon said that the Suez Canal traffic impacted US military vessel movement. And you know they can't have that. So what was the alternative? It's called the Ben-Gurion Canal Project which plans to be made cutting through Israel as an alternative route to the Suez Canal and also will be wider and deeper than the Suez Canal, which is important because the only way that trade can get from Asia to Western Europe is if it cuts through the Suez Canal, 
Otherwise, they would have to go all the way around Africa to get to this side of Europe. Now, guess where this Ben-Gurion Canal project is being built through? That's right, Gaza. I'm no conspiracy theorist, but you do the math. Okay, very interesting. It, it reminds me in a lot of ways of the situation in the Panama Canal, mm -hmm. uh, where the United States kind of uh, destabilized some things and, and made sure that they were able to dig that canal to keep from having to, you know, circumnavigate the uh, South America portion of land yep. versus just cutting across there. And it makes sense there um, that uh, this would be one of the benefits of Israel invading and kind of uh, taking over the Gaza Strip. Uh, not only that, but, you know, as we've talked about in previous episodes, the interesting information we were shared uh, from Nir Shoshani uh, about how it's now illegal to criticize uh, the Israeli government in any way. And, uh, and, and we've, been, we've had the war and the attack of Hamas on Israel likened to 9-11 uh, for Israel. And so in a lot of ways, we see uh, that there was a motivation for the United States in our 9-11 to go and uh, go to and the fight. Middle East and fight. Um, some of those motivations underlying the actual kind of justification, which was terrorism, was the oil reserves there that we are kind of stabilizing the, the world's oil reserves with the petrodollar being such an important element of the global monetary exchange. We also have the pharmaceutical kind of justification with poppy fields there that were being protected by U.S. soldiers. And this is from the mouth of uh, family members that I had serve over there, uh, you know, sharing with me that, you know, they, they were there basically to protect the interests of these corporations um, in the Middle East. And so uh, this is just one of those topics, uh, the, the canal uh, that is interesting, you know, that would be a, a benefit of Israel invading Gaza and, and nobody's denying that there have been uh, numerous attacks over the years. It's almost desensitized the world mm -hmm. because you constantly are hearing about the rockets coming from Gaza. And so uh, for this big attack to be allowed to have happened uh, has now finally given uh, Israel kind of a, a moral uh, high ground to then invade and, and stop kind of the aggression from Gaza. But then the big question that Nir Shashani presented was, how did the most observed border in terms of surveillance uh, get invaded? How mm -hmm. did this even happen? Well, the big question was, was it allowed to happen to then justify these things that are now moving forward on the world stage? Makes uh, you think. It makes you think. Uh, this was just a quick picture that, uh, you know, of course, the United States is directly tethered to uh, the situation in Israel through our tax dollars, just as we are tethered to Ukraine. Uh, so I find it interesting, uh, you know, the Iron Dome here is represented on the left, my tax dollars. You know, the United States is directly involved in funding the Iron Dome protective system in Israel. Uh, but um, then you see on the right, the missiles coming from Gaza and Hamas, uh, somehow also being my tax dollars, which is very interesting and and you know when you see the uh, aid that is being sent to uh, places like uh, Afghanistan by Biden uh, and Iraq and uh, and now Gaza humanitarian aid uh, which there's interesting images coming out of that humanitarian aid you know being used to continue the aggression between Israel and, and uh, Gaza it's just 
it's really interesting, uh, and I thought this picture was funny, uh, how it, is. Uh, it represents uh, where the money is being funneled. And, uh, and we don't really have a say to how uh, our tax dollars are being used, but uh, people in power definitely use them for uh, means to further their own agendas. And, and that's why we see, unfortunately, kind of a, a uh, what, what's the term, a... Hegelian dialectic, where they create the problem and they, they then offer the solution to the problem, and uh, and so the question is, is you know what is it that they're trying to use this conflict to further? And if World War Three is on the horizon, you know, we see the the war chimes are ringing. Uh, there's a lot of money to be made when uh, war uh, gets kickstarted, and, and we see that. That is a big motivation uh, for uh, establishment of the New World Order kind of principles, uh, furthering kind of the, uh, the situation there um, in the Middle East. So this next clip is another thing that could be slipping under our radar while we're all focusing on this conflict in the Middle East. Well, let me bring you up to speed. Folks, while everybody's focused on what's happening in Israel and Gaza, I'm going to bring your attention to a major major story happening this week that nobody seems to be covering. The Biden administration is literally steps away from regulating all internet service providers and taking over all internet infrastructure across the United States. Brendan Carr is calling the Biden administration's digital equality plan for all internet services and infrastructure an awful power grab. He said, President Biden's plan hands the administrative state effective control of all internet services and infrastructure in the country. Carr went on to say the Biden administration's plan empowers the FCC to regulate every aspect of the internet sector for the first time ever. So let's verify this for ourselves right off the Federal Communication Commission website, right off the government's website. And this is astounding because this is the head of the FCC himself right there. Carr opposes Biden's plan. As always, this is in my sources, so you can check it out and read it for yourself. President Biden's plan sweeps entire industries within the FCC's jurisdiction for the first time in the agency's 90-year history. President Biden's plan allows the FCC to impose unfunded build mandates on ISPs and unlimited monetary fines on every covered entity. The final vote for this is happening pretty much immediately. Next Wednesday, November 15th, the FCC is having their final vote. And if it wasn't for the Commissioner Brandon Carr, we probably never would have heard about it. And I bet they didn't talk about this on your five o'clock news. Wow. <laughs> so once again, I know we cover this topic of the war in the Middle East uh, between Israel and Gaza. And previously it was the war between Russia and Ukraine, distracting us from very important topics like this that are sneaking under the radar. And so that's why we want to share some of these things, uh, not to have you uh, fall into the trap of choosing a polarized topic and, and oh i'm for israel or oh i'm for the palestinian plight or whatever but to realize that these two sides are being used to uh distract us from these very topics like that um and so whenever we look at that jeremiah what significance that has is it truly does uh set up the the basis for uh you know a 1984 truth squad type oh, yeah. thing you know we had recently the uh, the file, the Twitter files that were released by uh, Elon Musk uh, and Matt Taibbi and a various group of uh, investigative journalists uh, showing that the FBI and the government had, you know, their fingers embedded in kind of the dif disinformation, malinformation war that happened on Twitter and in on Russia, places Russia, like, Russia, Russia. Yeah, Russia, 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 Facebook, um, uh, hiding... 
stories like the Hunter Biden laptop and and, and these things uh, showed that they were trying to get involved in the dissemination of, of information and the promotion of propaganda, uh, you know, several years ago. And what this shows me is that they were exposed and trying to collude with the Twitter organization to hide certain information, to infringe on our First Amendment speech. But guess what? I guess this is the next uh, avenue of approach is to completely place the internet and the internet service providers under the FCC, which gives them jurisdiction to then pretty much, uh, you know, blast people out of the water with fines. I think the, the guy said unlimited amounts. And this is current news, guys. This is as, as recent as the beginning of November here. And so the vote, he said, was on November 15th. Not a lot of people even are aware of this. And so uh, why is this important? Well, um, we already see that there's a nefarious intention behind the hiding of information they deem as malinformation, even though it might be true information. And the great example is the medical uh, challenge against the uh, the emergency use authorized medical experiment that was pushed very heavily on the whole world over the past few years. There was kind of uh, a monetary incentive for the the pharmaceutical companies, uh, which were then padding the pockets of politicians um, and uh, and figures like Anthony Fauci, who uh, had world's greatest serial killer, yeah, who who then motivated agencies like the FBI and the intelligence communities that were getting involved with these social media platforms. Uh, they they obviously don't have our best interests at heart. Nope. Um, and so whenever we see things like this, that they're about to place all of the internet under the FCC's uh, jurisdiction and uh, ability to kind of control and manipulate. Uh, it's alarming. It's, it's very concerning. And um, the information that is out there today, I, I like to use the term the golden age of the internet that we've been in since uh, roughly, you know, the early 2000s up till maybe 2015 is when we really start to see a crackdown on information spread on the internet that they view as malinformation. And we're entering into a, an age of the internet of highly tailored information yep. that is pretty much like 1984's Truth Squad. They tell you what they want you to believe. And now with the implementation of AI technology, we have like uh, AI tailored advertisements, uh, AI tailored uh, videos and news and all this stuff that a human can't crunch the numbers to figure out how to really get into the mind of somebody. Yep. But as soon as they apply AI technology to our social media browsing habits, to the things we look up on YouTube, on Facebook, uh, they're able to start to, uh, in, a, in a massive way, sway the, the populace's opinion on different topics. And so, um, you know, they can we're pretend seeing... to be other people. I mean, yeah, they can pretend to be anybody else. Yes. Yeah. So. Uh, we see all these things coming together is kind of the point. So. Uh, let's go ahead and pull up this next clip here. But you didn't know this, 12 USC 531 exemption from taxation under uscodehouse.gov. What's it say? Effect, in effect, October 1st, 2023. Exempt from taxation, Federal Reserve banks, including the capital stock and surplus therein and the income derived therefrom shall be exempt from federal, state, and local taxation. 
Ain't that a Wow. So here's another example of something that could have slipped under the radar uh, if we hadn't found it, and which is why I'm bringing it up. This happened as early as October 1st. You know, we had several days later was when the attack actually happened. But guess what? The Federal Reserve banks are now exempt from all taxation um, and liability uh, to pay taxes uh, to the United States government. Isn't that and, convenient? Yeah. And a lot of people don't know that the Federal Reserve is actually a private organization separate from the United States government. Did you know that? Mm. Well, the name would kind of deceive you, right? Well, uh, the monetary system that the United States is set up under, which is the Federal Reserve uh, banking system and fractional reserve banking uh, is a very sticky topic um, where it's perpetually continuing the growth of debt. And uh, in a way, it's, it makes modern slaves out of all people here in the West. And we don't even know it. Uh, but it, it ties into our birth certificates, it ties into all that kind of stuff. But when you see things like that, like, oh, they just slipped through the code there that they are now exempt from paying taxes, um, but they also are in charge of printing money, they're yeah. in charge and, you know, and, and buy back, and, and, you know, the, the United States is, um, is constantly, uh, you know, dealing with our growing national debt um, and so, you know, just one of those topics that I thought you guys would be interested in as, uh, you know, recent as October 1st that happened. So next clip here. You want to know, here's an easy, an easy way to know if you are controlled. Is there somebody or something that you're not allowed to criticize? That's right. Simple as that. If you lived in Nazi Germany, you couldn't criticize the Nazi party. If you lived in the Soviet Union, you couldn't criticize the Communist Party of Russia. If you live in China right now, you can't criticize the Chinese Communist Party. If you live in North, Viet in North Korea, you can't criticize Kim Jong-un. If you live in Cuba, you can't criticize the Cuban Communist Party. If you live in America, who can't you criticize? Who can't you criticize in America? You want to know, here's an easy, an easy way to know if you are controlled. Is there somebody or something that you're not allowed to criticize? That's right. Simple as that. If you lived in Nazi Germany, you couldn't criticize the Nazi party. If you lived in the Soviet Union, you couldn't criticize the Communist Party of Russia. If you live in China right now, you can't criticize the Chinese Communist Party. If you live in North Viet in North Korea, you can't criticize Kim Jong-un. If you live in Cuba, you can't criticize the Cuban Communist Party. If you live in America, who can't you criticize? Who can't you criticize in America? You know, uh, this morning, the 193 member states of the United Nations approved the political declaration on pandemic prevention, preparedness, and response. In May 2024, the 194 member states of the WHO will have their final vote on both of these international agreements. This process takes place behind closed doors. It is not reported nor discussed in our newspapers, in our national parliaments, in universities, nor in society. The WHO claims 
in these two legal instruments an absolute and non-questionable leadership in all health matters as soon as WHO refers itself to pandemic prevention. One of those things that's happening currently that we saw kind of the first ugly head appear in 2020 with the pandemic preparedness and, and all the mandates and things that were handed down from the WHO, uh, these things are being padded and amped up so that uh, this element of control, if a future pandemic arises, uh, will be very quickly rolled out. And uh, it's ultimate authority on all matters of health and pandemic protections and all this kind of stuff. And the protocols. And the protocols. And, and these are the things that they want us focusing on the conflict in the Middle East uh, and yet these are the discussions that are happening behind closed doors uh, at these uh, big uh, international uh, summits and meetings in the UN, the WHO. Uh, they're discussing how to pretty much control the world while we're all in our fear state, blinded and stupid because we think World War III is at the door and it might be. But the problem is, is that uh, we don't speak up against these things uh, whenever we're hyper-focused and voicing our opinions on whether I support Israel or I support Palestine. Uh, we, we become kind of stupefied because of that fear-triggering response of wars coming. Uh, you know, you know, what would I do in this Looks situation? Like look up here while we do this. Exactly, exactly. So um, that breaks down for us pretty much the little interesting stories that might slip past your awareness because you're hyper-focusing on, you know, the things the mainstream media is waving over here while they're doing this thing over here, right? Yep. Um, but uh, that brings us to another interesting segment, uh, which is uh, recently there was a uh, genetically modified monkey no. that glows. So check this out. No way. All right, so uh, the Metro reported, scientists have created a Frankenstein chimera monkey oh. that glows green. Uh, and uh, he's got the little E.T. fingers there. That poor thing. Uh, <laughs> uh, the, it says, the birth of the chimeric monkey with glowing green fingers and eyes may sound like something out of a horror movie, but it represents a major scientific breakthrough. Uh, so researchers in China announced the long-sought birth today, sharing the images of a long-tailed uh, macaque, macaque, I don't know how to say it, a monkey know. whose cells are made from an embryo injected with other genetically distinct cells. Um, and the reason this is interesting, you know, we have the concept of mnRNA uh, V technology, uh, which is... Uh, able to inject a, a different genetic kind of code into our DNA to help us create spike proteins to fight off uh, viruses and such. But that same uh, technology, MNR, M mnRNA technology, uh, is going to be used also to supposedly be able to fight cancer and, and defeat uh, long-term uh uh, genetic uh, diseases that are passed down from parents to children, and well, so Joe Biden did say, oh, "I'm going to cure cancer." Yep. So yep, and and so yeah, okay. uh, it it's a interesting time to be alive. We see the advancement of medical technology uh, to the extent that 
they're able to create glowing monkeys. So they want to have glowing people so they can all see you? Well, they think we're monkeys. You know, yeah. we all, you know, apparently cr crawled out of the primordial sludge and evolved from monkeys. So uh, it makes sense that they'd start to experiment on real monkeys before they start to experiment on uh, us, uh, you know, more advanced evolved monkeys, as they right. say. Uh, so I thought that was a really interesting article of the uh, the glowing monkey uh, being created in a laboratory there. And uh, it just makes you wonder uh, how they're going to start to implement this into the human population. And if they are not already doing it through, you know, experimental medical uh, Vs that were uh, authorized under emergency use authorization by the federal government to keep them from being able to be sued for adverse effects on human health. And, uh, and everybody who fell for the ploy during that period of time will not be able to uh, sue. And, and later on in our news segment, we're going to share some uh, uh, really alarming findings regarding the spike protein spreading through people and how uh, you might not want to uh, uh, pair up your unveed uh, descendants with somebody who may have been veed uh, based on some interesting research from a, a German scientist. But let's continue on. Here's an interesting one. A worker was crushed to death by a robot that mistook him for a box of veggies. What? This happened in South Korea, and uh, he was crushed to death by an industrial robot that mistook him for a box of vegetables, the local authorities said Thursday. The unidentified worker uh, succumbed to head and chest injuries. He reportedly worked for the company that installs the robot. Uh, he was sent to the uh, vegetable plant to make sure the model was operating correctly. So what it says here in the article is that the device that was involved in the accident is actually a simple device and that because it was a simple device, this accident was allowed to happen. And so if we scroll down here at the bottom of the article, it actually talks about, you can see here, that's the arm that was uh, you, you know, involved in the fatal accident. Uh, but because it was not an advanced piece of technology, they are then using stories like this to advocate for the implementation of advanced artificial intelligence powered uh, computing systems. And so that would solve the problem of people falling to uh, the fate of uh, stupid robots, pretty much. And, uh, and we're seeing more and more the implementation of AI uh, powered uh, devices, robots, uh, and this is just one of those stories that you see kind of pop up on your scroll there on your phone uh, that kind of in the back of your subconscious justifies the implementation of this AI technology because it really does show you it's safer, right? <laughs> well, that's the big question that we've covered in several of our episodes before. I so wouldn't work with it. We talk about how they these articles and the mainstream media uh, has this kind of game plan to get into our subconscious to either distract us or to use uh, psychological weaponry to hurt us in the way they want us to think. And there was a recent uh, PSYOP recruitment video that was put out. Uh, and this first video you're about to see is a breakdown of that PSYOP recruitment video. And then I'm going to actually show you the, the actual video. So I uh, hope you guys uh, find this interesting. In 2022, a recruiting video, which can best be described as a movie trailer for a psychological thriller made by a conspiracy theorist with a cold war fascination, made the rounds online. Complete with ghosts, creepy imagery, and even real-life uprisings, the mysterious video was made by the United States Fourth Psychological Operations Group. Also known as PSYOP, the unit defines itself as masters of influence and practitioners of information warfare, as stated on its website, quote, 
we conduct influence activities to target psychological vulnerabilities and create or intensify fissures, confusion, and doubt in adversary organizations. Aside from the unsettling undertones, the video is pretty straightforward, calling to join the fourth psychological operations, to find, manipulate, and become part of an elite team that functions as a puppeteer, pulling the world's strings, particularly those of hot-button national security threats like the Chinese and Russian governments. Ghost in the Machine After an eerie recruitment video titled Ghost in the Machine was published on YouTube on May 2nd, 2022, some are now linking the United States Army with mysticism, and perhaps even sorcery. Playing more like a movie trailer, and less like a standard recruitment video, the 3 minute 35 second clip comes with no explanation other than the mysterious words, quote, All the world's a stage. Join us. Despite starting almost innocently, with popular quotes from Sun Tzu's The Art of War, followed by clips of cartoons, and stock footage of multicultural city streets and subways, the video then starts leaning towards the strange. Growing increasingly disturbing, complete with hair-raising whistling in the background and suspenseful music, the edit then shows a clip of a shadow-like man, anxiously staring at dark skies, riot scenes, and soldier deployment. Dark and tense, it then ends with an ominous message, quote, They'll find us in the shadows, at the tip of the spear. Anything we touch is a weapon. We can deceive, persuade, change, influence, inspire. We come in many forms. We are everywhere. Psychological Operations Group the video was released by the 4th Psychological Operations Group, Airborne, and has amassed more than a million views in less than a year. The group is one of the two active military information support operations units based in Fort Bragg. While this specific group is relatively unknown due to its secretive nature, military information support operations are vital. Psychological operations, or PSYOP, rely on logic, fear, desire, or other mental factors to promote specific emotions or behaviors and convince enemy, neutral, or friendly nations to take favorable actions toward the United States and its allies. Whether there's peace, contingencies, or full-on war, units like these cover the dissemination and circulation of information to foreign audiences in support of United States policy and national objectives. Instead of relying on force, PSYOP is all about influencing everyone, from governments, people of power, and even everyday citizens. When properly employed, psychological operations even have the potential to save lives by gradually reducing the adversary's will to fight. By lowering the adversary's morale and efficiency, the 4th PSYOP group can also discourage aggressive actions, creating indifference within the ranks and ultimately leading to surrender. PSYOP elements are adaptive thinkers with language and cultural expertise, and they specialize in deception and cyber warfare, working in small teams. As a small and niche community within the U.S. Army, the 4th Psychological Operations Group has only 1,000 active-duty soldiers. Behind the Scenes as part of the Special Operations community, the qualification course to become a PSYOP soldier is lengthy and demanding. The course, which extends to 56 weeks, is broken up into five different phases, including a prep and conditioning course, an assessment selection, and an almost three-month-long PSYOP qualification course, where potential members learn about the fundamentals of psychological operations and behavioral theories. In addition, trainees also take a foreign language course that lasts between 16 and 24 weeks. In an interview with Colonel Chris Stangle, commander of the 4th PSYOP group, he states that the strange and macabre viral video was created in-house as a recruitment effort and to show the general public what they can do. He adds that creating niche, highly persuasive media is part of psychological operations. Stengel also said the artist behind the video tailored it a bit after the iconic horror film Jaws, where the filmmakers show restraint in showing the menacing shark. Instead of showing the enemy head-on, the viewers can sense it lurking just below the surface. Quote, drawing on this approach that doesn't show what a PSYOP soldier does necessarily because it's so complicated and there's so much about it, Quite honestly, it's just not incredibly sexy, but what it feels like to do our craft when we're successful. And we think that kind of allows the audience to immerse into what our world is and what our craft is. At work. 
SIOP soldiers work with over 40 countries around the world, and these partnerships are critical in preventing future conflicts and managing them as they unfold in real time. According to Stengel, psychological operations are everywhere in the world, in every day, and in every component of our lives. Right now in Eastern Europe, where Ukraine is proving to be much more successful in the information war than the Russians, it is happening in real time. Stengel went on to say that after the annexation of Crimea in 2014, the American PSYOP community and other NATO allies teamed up to help Ukraine build its own abilities. Quote, We've helped them build their PSYOP force. We've helped them through military-to-military partnerships, us, as well as more than 12 allies and partners. And what we've been able to do is just sit and watch how amazing their arguments are. Ukraine has done a masterful job. They've taken the training and the work we've done with them, as well as their own inherent skill, and have just really blown it up. Sinister Basis The overall response to the Ghosts in the Machine video has been positive, not only from civilians who have watched it, but also from soldiers in the field who identify with it. Because of the unit's secrecy and behind-the-scenes nature, when a PSYOP mission is successful, no one talks about it, and it is not covered in the news. But with this engaging, albeit creepy video, they have felt seen. According to Stengel, the video is nothing more than an informative recruitment tool, evoking emotions and mental sensations with its unusual imagery. However, several conspiracy theorists and free thinkers suggest that the video's intent might be darker and possibly related to the occult. Some internet sleuths have claimed the video's allusions to magical happenings are not figurative, and that units like PSYOP commonly research supernatural phenomena and the occult, including events like extrasensory perception and remote viewing. The video also sparked dozens of online articles trying to decipher the meaning of the clandestine units, while some even doubted its veracity. According to one commenter, clandestine army units like this don't make recruiting material because it brings unwanted attention. Even so, there has been continued debate, but most people seem to agree that it effectively does what PSYOP units are supposed to do, which is to confuse, mislead, redirect, and occupy our minds. As the video puts it, quote, Warfare is evolving, and all the world's a stage. So that video really, in a, in a concise way, breaks down the use of psychological warfare. And he used the example of Ukraine and how you, you know, they were able to garner a lot of support for the cause. And, uh, and that then justifies people like the United States uh, funneling millions and millions of taxpayer dollars into those causes. Uh, and it has to be justified by their psychological operation to then sway the general populace's opinion to support the events and, and uh, things that are going on. And so I, I actually wanted to show the real recruitment video. That was a breakdown of that video and how it was used. But this is the actual video, and uh, maybe you guys can see some of the themes he was talking about.
Warfare is another very important phase of warfare. It has as its target, not the body, but the mind of the enemy. The target of psychological warfare is against the enemy's mind. It is words and ideas. Ammunition used by firewall. Its mission is to influence the thoughts of the enemy soldiers. And at the same time, it is expected and encouraged to study foreign languages and the social sciences such as history, economics, and sociology. He must have a broad and sympathetic understanding of all phases of human experience. But the use of this force as an integral part of combat has now taken on new form. These are the Psy War soldiers. So, oh. that's a Go Army recruitment video for their psychological operations arm. And, you know, when you see something like that... It looks like a Kubrick film. Yeah, Kubrick. I, I mean... Brainwashing, kind of. How can we watch the news without that in the back of our minds going, be careful, right? And, uh, and just to lend credence to the concept of how our media is there to lead us astray, to distract us, uh, here's uh, something the public was never told and, and how the power of influence is actually something that's been patented for a long time as they use our devices to uh, influence us. Check this out. The CIA caught up in a mind control arms race with the Russians and the Chinese. God. Rogue scientists, mind control, Manchurian Global. Tom. You, connect the dots, Raymond. It's a recruitment film, basically explaining how the mind control protocol works. December 28th, 1989. A patent was filed at a U.S. patent office that would send shockwaves through the world. A patent so disturbing, the only option was to cover it up and hide it behind a wall of so-called conspiracy theories. Today we are going to expose this hidden technology that has the potential to change humanity as we know it. Chemtrails and 9-11 and mind control and lizard people. Electronic mind control. It's not a conspiracy theory or even science fiction. It's a tried and true technology that has been not only known about, but perfected by scientists worldwide. I am just a figment of your imagination. The ultimate weapon in the info war would be so secret, so invisible, so undetectable, you would never know your mind was under attack. At Laurentian University in Ontario, Canada, a young student is about to undergo one of the strangest experiences of her life. They're hooking Denise's brain up to an electroencephalograph or EEG machine for 30 to 40 minutes. This will monitor her brain waves. While these electric coils attached on either side of her head will immerse her brain in an electromagnetic field. Her brain actually completes the circuit between the two coils. The field pulsing through her brain 
is less powerful than one given off by a digital clock radio, but acutely controlled and focused at specific parts of the brain, it will open Denise's mind to outside suggestion by this man. Dr. Michael Persinger is a professor of psychology and neuroscience. He is designing ways to put the power of mind control to good use. Dr. Persinger's research focuses on brain trauma. He uses carefully controlled doses of electromagnetic radiation to induce relaxation and alleviate pain. So uh, what Sandra did was to initiate a opiate releasing pattern. That's a burst firing field that um, was stimulated once every four seconds. And that produces relaxation and a very pleasant sensation. Uh, similarly, using the appropriate field, we can induce fear and apprehension, but clearly there would be an ethical in that setting. Plus the Dr. Persinger's tests suggest that carefully programmed electromagnetic frequencies can tap into individual brains and influence people's emotions. The cognitive processes of the human brain are really quite simple. And if you understand how they work, you can make entire populations think and decide uh, the matter what you wish. Many experts are skeptical of such an Orwellian scenario, but Persinger thinks the implications are chillingly real. Suppose you generate a field that produces fear, fundamental fear, in large numbers of people. And then over the television, more traditional way, as you say, the reason we're having this fear is because of this particular group. And now you start to move the population believing in a direction that you wish. To influence 250 million people, the equivalent of the entire population of the United States, may not be that difficult. According to Dr. Persinger, you already have the technology, satellites and television, and radio transmitters. Mind control may already be happening. We know the mysterious PSYOPs plane can beam persuasive sounds and pictures into people's television sets. Will it someday beam disturbing frequencies directly into the mind? Mind control will be the ultimate non-lethal weapon. The research is led by Dr. Michael Persinger. Basically, at any given time, all experience is due to those portions of the brain that are most metabolically active. If we can simulate that by applying complex, meaningful magnetic fields to the brain, we can also induce those experiences. If you stimulate the deep portions of the temporal lobe, so you can get very, very vivid imagery, and the emotional commitment or the emotional sensation that something is profound, real, cosmically real, and personally significant. These experiences are so strong, they're utterly real for the person who has them. They can be as profound as a religious conversion, yet we can generate them with a machine. These mind games are beginning to shed their secrets. The scientist becomes the shaman. But where are the limits? What else can people be made to believe? Well, one thing that's really clear, you can control the person's experiences and they don't know they're being controlled. And they don't know they're being controlled. And they don't know they're being controlled. Science. You don't know science. I know science. That clip you just saw from the Discovery Channel was from Dr. Michael Persinger. He thinks that these frequencies could easily be included in TV broadcasts and or radio stations in order to quote influence large populations of people into thinking or behaving a certain way. But can they really? The patent I'm about to show you 
says yes, they can. U.S. patent number US 5159703 Alpha Silent Subliminal Presentation System. Quote, Silent Subliminal Presentation System. Abstract. A silent communication system in which non-aural carriers in the very low or very high audio frequency range or in the adjacent ultrasonic frequency spectrum are amplitude or frequency modulated with desired intelligence and propagated acoustically or vibrationally for inducement into the brain, typically through the use of loudspeakers, earphones, or piezoelectric transducers. The modulated carriers may be transmitted directly in real time or may be conveniently recorded and stored on mechanical, magnetic, or optical media for delayed or repeated transmission to the listener. Description. Background. This invention relates in general to electronic audio signal processing and, in particular, to subliminal presentation techniques. Subliminal learning enjoys wide use today and subliminal tapes are being manufactured by a number of companies in the United States alone. Several decades of scientific study indicate that subliminal messages can influence a human's attitude and behavior. Subliminal in these discussions can be defined as, quote, below the threshold of audibility to the conscious mind. To be effective, however, the subliminally transmitted information, called affirmations by those in the profession, must be presented to the listener's ear in such a fashion that they can be perceived and decoded by the listener's subconscious mind. We are referring to audio information in this discussion. However, information could be inputted into the subject's subconscious mind through any of the body's sensors, such as touch, smell, sight, or hearing. As an example, early development work in the subliminal field utilized motion pictures and slide projections as the medium. Early research into visual and auditory subliminal simulation effects is exemplified by U.S. patent number 3060795 of Corrigan et al. and number 3278676 of Becker, U.S. patent number 4395600 of Lundy and Tyler is representative of later developments in today's subliminal message techniques. Although its application to the magnetic tape medium is described in the following discussion, the technique is applicable to most other desired transmission mediums such as compact discs, video cassettes, digital tape recorders, public address systems, background music installations, computer software programs, random access memory, read-only memory, live, real-time applications, and other mediums now in existence or to be developed in the future. Implemented on cassette tapes, for example, the subliminal presentation described here is inaudible, i.e. high audio or ultrasonic frequencies. The affirmations are present at a consistent high amplitude level, and they occupy their own clear channel, non-masked frequency allocations. If desired, the previously described foreground music or other material can be added to the tape through use of an audio mixer. The silent recordings are inaudible to the user or by others present and are therefore very effective for use during periods of sleep or when in the presence of others. Additionally, basic requirements of subliminal simulations are met. That is, affirmations are efficiently transmitted to the ear and while undetected by the conscious mind, are perceived and efficiently decoded by the subconscious mind. End quote. So basically, they developed a way to add certain frequencies to regular audio that tricks your subconscious mind into believing something, whatever that quote-unquote affirmation is. I got that mind control, man. 
Thurman has mind control. But you, you have brain control. Brain control? Mm-hmm. What? Now there are many more pages of this patent, and it gets pretty technical. So I'll put the link in the description if you're interested in viewing it for yourself. But I want to know what your take is on this technology. Do you think that it's become widespread and has been utilized in everything from TV, radio, and movies to other forms of content like podcasts and such? Or do you think it's just some dusty old patent that has never seen the light of day? I want to know what you think. Please put your opinions in the comment section. I want to thank you all for watching this video, and until next time, God. So, very interesting, a patent from the 90s that describes mind control, pretty much. And, and then we, you know, right before that we show the video on the psychological operations unit of the army. Uh, are they using this technology to further agendas that we're not even aware of? I think it's very likely. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think, Jeremiah? Well, I think, I mean, I saw Opa's face during, he, he, when we were watching that, and I knew exactly what he was thinking because that whole topic reminds me of something my dad was working on 14 years ago called the protean field and uh opa was pulling up the cliff so uh check this out and let me know if you notice anything in there or if it reminds you of what we just talked about you're on top of the world right now aren't you yeah you know i didn't think this day would ever come all that hard work, it's about to pay off big, honey. I'm so proud of you. I always knew you could do it. You're not living, man. I mean, this virtual reality crap? It's keeping you locked up. Come on, man, let's, let's get out of here. Get your mind off of this. Virtual mind reality, or VMR. With the VMR device such as this, we can literally program our soldiers to do just about anything. This is because everything is vibration. Once you understand that, it's just a matter of identifying the frequencies. Because frequencies can always be modified, amplified, and distributed. Bottom line is Law-abiding citizens should not have to give up their rights because of criminals who ignore the laws anyway. I think it's going to be a close race. I don't think it's going to be close at all. If the president vetoes this bill, she's done. Forget about all these politics, all this election nonsense. We live in a fallen world, people. Our fight is not against men, but against principalities and power. Spiritual wickedness in high places. This looks so real. Gavin, you've got to try this. He's in a coma. They say he might never come out. Every day, more and more people are tapping into the field. Everything's going precisely as planned. The Army General, who has never flown a jet before in his life, is literally being programmed with the experience of air-to-air -air combat right before your eyes. Hey, man. I want to know what the thing did to my son. 
Look, trust me, I want to get to the bottom of this as bad as you do. Why are these kids dead? What do you know about MK Ultra? MK Delta, Operation Paperclip, Project Bluebird. What kind of investigator are you? You might want to consider some protection. What do I need protection for? I'm not going to be playing this game. It's only a matter of time before they're not going to need video games to do what they're doing. And what you've seen here is just the beginning. Wow. So as you can see, he was using like the seed uh, font and everything before that. It was 14 years ago. He was saying pretty much. 14 years ago. I mean, even the timing of that's interesting in that they're like talking about the distractions of the coming election and all that. And yeah. what time frame do we find ourselves in now, right? Good point. The, leading up to the election year. And, and we find that most of the pro propaganda and kind of psyop programs seem to be tethered around election year. Have you ever noticed that? Mm -hmm. We saw it in 2016. We saw it in 2020. We're seeing it ramp up once again here uh, in 2024 coming up shortly. So, yeah, I'm so glad you, you pulled that in because he, he was literally talking about the very same things that were discussed in that patent. Oh, yeah. The, the increase of the frequencies and subliminal uh, control. Uh, it's amazing. And there were some cameos in there. What, what's interesting is the couple of the stars of the show is Jeremiah and me. So y'all rewatch that and you can, uh, if you can time stamp it. Uh, I'll uh, give you a thumbs up or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so it's not only the things that we're not aware of, but it's also the media that is produced by Hollywood, um, by these studios that leak truth in order to make it seem outlandish or something satirical, uh, but it's actually a commentary on reality. And so this next clip is the Illuminati being uh, detailed in uh, a recent kids show. So check this out. Truth in plain sight in a kid's cartoon. Robin, I think it's time to stop. I knew it! Something! <gasps> the symbol of the Illuminati. Yes! I suppose there's no harm in walking you through our plan for world domination. We did work hard on it. It all starts here, with the banks. We don't care about the banks! Tell us about the animals! Ah! Now talk! Where are the animals? Really? I don't know! I'll stop all our domination plans! I'll pull my lizard men out of Congress! We'll stop using Hollywood to hasten the New World Order! Just let me go! Here's... <laughs> what do you think about that man i mean right right in front of our faces right in front of our faces this is what's being put in front of your children while you're watching all the youtube videos actually talking about the illuminati and all these conspiracies watching maybe this youtube channel they're watching cartoons that are preparing them to laugh at you to to yep. make it look like something that's funny or fake 
or make-believe um, or outlandish, uh, but there's a, an element of truth in it that they're trying to kind of disguise. And, and the way they kind of desensitize to it, us to it is they slowly uh, put that media in our films, in our TV shows, and uh, they make it seem like something that's fantasy world. And, mm -hmm. uh, and in reality, it's uh, closer the, to the truth than we realize. And like we've covered in our segment here today, we've covered the banks, we've covered the PSYOP stuff, uh, we've covered, uh, you know, uh, a, a variety of uh, the things that even that kids cartoon was talking about. Um, so now we're going to share this next clip, uh, which is um, how the agenda of the NWO or the Illuminati or whatever term you want to use uh, was actually contained in a book. And this is uh, more along the lines of the New Green Deal's that uh, the Paris Climate Accords is pushing through and, and some of the sentiments that have been shared at the UN recently. Um, and what it paints humanity as is the problem. And it was talked about a long time ago in a book. Check this out. And they came up with this incredible document where they actually said we need a new justification for this all-powerful state. So the new excuse is going to be because the environment is going to be harmed and because climate is going to hurt us. Wait, what? I could not believe what I just heard. Did world leaders really lay out this globalist plan in plain English in a physical book way back in 1991? I went on Amazon and there it was. The first global revolution, which states, and I quote, in searching for a common enemy to unite us, we came up with the idea that pollution, the threat of global warming, water shortages, famine and the like would fit the bill and therefore the real enemy is humanity itself just like in the movie independence day you know it mm -hmm. had to be that one thing to unite all of mankind well as we see here and as has been pushed very heavily the past few years ever since you know greta thunberg the little girl how dare you how dare you right uh unified everybody about the drastic effects of humanity on this world and how we are a virus basically uh it is now unifying uh, all these world powers to then implement their control and their measures to implement their new world order um and so uh on that topic of uh you know aliens uniting mankind mm. uh that's also been uh, a recent story we've covered uh the peru alien attack uh, in our previous uh, news broadcast, uh, there is a gentleman, Timothy Alberino, that recently put out a report. He traveled to the village where the Peru alien attack happened and interviewed them. And uh, we're not going to show the whole video, but I wanted you guys to be aware of it. You can check it out on your own time. The Peru alien attack on Timothy Alberino's channel. Check this out. My name is Timothy Alberino, and this is the After Action Report and Analysis of my expedition into the Amazon jungle of Peru, where I investigated the alleged alien attacks and face-peeler phenomenon of recent internet fame. Let's begin with a brief review. Some months ago, near the end of July, compelling videos began to surface on social media featuring an alleged alien attack in a remote jungle village called San Antonio de Pintoyacu, which is inhabited by the indigenous Iquitu people. 
and located deep in the Alto Nanay region of the Peruvian Amazon, northwest of Iquitos. The video depicted an alarming scene in which the men of the village were in a state of panic, discharging their firearms into the jungle in the dark of night. Subsequent interviews with the Apu, or chief of the village, revealed that mysterious assailants were making incursions into the village and had attempted to abduct a 15-year-old girl. The girl, whose name is Talia, was able to scream during the altercation with her assailants and was fortunately rescued by her brother and her neighbors who came running to investigate the commotion. Talia sustained a laceration in her neck and was in a state of chemically induced disorientation for some time after the incident. According to the Apu, whose name is Jairo Reategui, the assailants were arrayed in peculiar body armor with elongated helmets reminiscent of the Green Goblin from the Spider-Man movie and were able to flow through the jungle and lift off into the air. They seemed to be impervious to gunfire as they were shot at point-blank range to no effect and could seemingly disappear into the night. In the video, the Apu made the extraordinary claim that the assailants were not human beings, but extraterrestrials, evidenced by their incredible technological capabilities, which seemed to defy a conventional explanation. The assailants were also described as pelacaras, which translates into English to face peelers. The legend of the Pelacaras is well known in the Peruvian Amazon. I myself had heard of it some 20 years ago when I lived among the native people in a region of the jungle not far from Alto Nanay. According to the legend, strange beings would, from time to time, appear in the remote villages to waylay and abduct individuals who happened to be found alone at night. The corpses of these unfortunate victims would later be discovered with their faces partially or completely removed, exposing the bleached skeletal bone beneath. While many Peruvians associate the Pelacaras with gringos, there is no consensus among the indigenous communities in regard to their origin or identity. Some believe that they represent an international group of organ harvesters funded, perhaps, by cartels while others maintain that they are non-human beings and even extraterrestrials. Although the descriptions of the Pelacadas vary to some degree in the legends, there are consistent details, such as the fact that the assailants always attack at night and have the ability to silently float through the jungle and fly through the air. Apart from the video which had surfaced from San Antonio, Another video appeared on social media featuring an alleged Pelacara encounter in the city of Nauta, which is two hours west by road from Iquitos, the capital city of Loreto. The video, captured at night on a cheap smartphone and therefore dark, grainy, and low resolution, seems to depict an alien gray-type being, which is momentarily illuminated by a flashlight. These videos, as well as others, went viral on the internet and provoked much fear and trepidation throughout the jungle regions of Peru. The villagers of San Antonio, who were living in terror, earnestly petitioned the government to dispatch the Navy to protect them from the Pelacada assailants and to conduct a criminal investigation. But contrary to my original report on the incident, the Navy never responded. 
Only a couple of police officers eventually arrive from Iquitos to interview Talia about the attempted abduction. These individuals, after conducting a piss-poor investigation, determined that the village was being attacked by river miners equipped with jetpacks who were terrorizing the villagers in an attempt to drive them off their land. This ridiculous fabrication was quickly picked up by the Peruvian press and subsequently by the American press and became the official narrative. As a result, interest in the story soon evaporated. As those of you who have been following my coverage of the story are well aware, I wasn't buying the jetpack miner fabrication. It was obvious to me that something extraordinary was happening in the Peruvian Amazon, and it was apparent that no one had conducted a competent investigation into the matter. You guys can go check out the rest of his report on your own time. We have covered the alien sightings in previous episodes, mm -hmm. so I thought uh, that would be very interesting to our viewers to go and watch the cool full update. update. Yeah, it's very interesting. And uh, with that shared, we have an interesting clip next that uh, details John McAfee, who died oh. in a Spanish prison, yeah. um, talking about uh, how he actually hacked uh, some South American government uh, officials uh, because he felt kind of persecuted by their investigations. He was uh, arrested and such. Um, but through his actions, he discovered the involvement of government officials in nefarious activities. And... Um, and I just thought uh, it was relevant to kind of the, the topics that we've been talking about um, with how the government doesn't always have our best interests at heart, even though they hide behind the guise of helping the people and governing, right? So right. let's check out this clip. The reason that the government wanted to collect me was that after they had raided my property in 2012 in the jungle, shot my dog, abused me, destroyed a half million dollars worth of my property over a bogus charge, I was pissed off. And so I, I donated uh, to many secretaries within the government laptop computers, really nice ones that were preloaded with viral spyware. Within a week, the entire government computer system was in, under my control. I was watching, monitoring, listening. I was looking for information that they had set me up for that raid. I didn't find it. I did find out that the Minister of National Defense was the largest drug trafficker in all of Central America. The Minister of Immigration, the largest human trafficker. We don't want to get killed by them either, so we're probably not going to That's fine. That's fine. Wow. <laughs> we don't want to get killed by them either, so we're yeah. probably not going to air that. And then, of course, we see the fate of John McAfee was... And he Epstein himself. Uh, yeah, in a uh, prison there in Spain. Uh, so, um, Very interesting guy. Yeah, very interesting. He was one of the big proponents of uh, Bitcoin very early on. I remember mm -hmm. watching, watching that. Um, but that's, uh, you know, an interesting uh, kind of expose and how uh, people that have gone against... Uh, government interests uh, or been targeted by the governments um, are usually the people that you know are, are poking at mm -hmm. the beast so to speak um, so this next clip goes along with our discussion on the medical experiment since 2020 that has been uh, kind of thoroughly indoctrinated in the American populace and the whole world If you live in America, 
Who can't you criticize? Who can't you criticize in America? Very disturbing. Um, and so the long-term implications of this PSYOP that was pushed on the world over the past few years is immense. Uh, because whenever we tamper with the Almighty's code of, you know, DNA, yep. and we play God, then the implications of that can be very dire. And I think uh, your dad was all over that, man, uh, before they got him. That he was warning people, and, uh, and of course, they murdered him in that hospital. And, and now we're seeing uh, vindication as real scientists that are no longer being censored on Twitter or whatever are coming out verifying the, the things that conspiracy theorists have been warning about for the past two years. Um, so with that shared, uh, let's check out this next clip, uh, which is in regards to lockdowns. They might draw the conclusion that, oh, that's a, uh, a, you know, conspiracy theorist. It's a conspiracy that there's a correlation between SIDS evaporating and, you know, the 2020 lockdowns where children were not bringing, being brought into their pediatrician. But, um, you know, it, it's something to be aware of and it ties into why we need to be brainwashed so that we're ignorant of the reality we live in. This last video is a clip of the ultra wealthy. Uh, a gentleman that I just learned uh, has interacted with somebody here in the studio, uh, Mr. Peter Nygaard, and uh, and his... Uh, you can barely see him, but we did a history on Peter Nygaard. Yep, yep. His pursuit of purchasing the, uh, for the eggs of uh, uh, certain ethnicities. So check this interesting clip out. The matter of SCMT which takes the egg of a young, perfect woman specimen, takes the egg and takes out the nucleus and puts our DNA in the nucleus. They just go and take it out. And this is part of this genetic greatness that we don't see in any other race on the planet. These curvy, sexy black women from Africa. You girls have a kind of a monopoly on this genetic perfection, and we want some of that. <laughs> so, girls, for a hundred dollars, we will pay you for your egg. I pay you. I pay you. about who yep oh, go ahead well opa met peter nygaard he wasn't just doing that he was he was aborting these women's babies and injecting them in himself the stem cells for youth yep 
That's what he said. Yeah, that's what that guy was mentioning is just the sick process of healing through abominable practices pretty much. But um, it, but Opa always told me that he was a creep when I was a kid. He would tell me stories about, yeah. you know, when he was on the road and stuff. And he, he always told me, there's something weird about this guy. There's something weird about this guy. And then later it came out that he was doing all these sick things. And now he's in prison where he belongs. Wow. Yeah, it's very interesting. And it just shows that there is a, uh, a level to medical exploration that uh, people with a lot of money aren't shy from doing things that the rest of the world might frown upon. And, uh, and you heard it there, you know, even, you know, children that have been aborted, they, they want to utilize those stem cells uh, for life for others is what they were saying. And, and so no wonder we see such a push in our culture for uh, uh, pro-choice activism, abortion clinics to be opened. And, and, and you know, it, it's, it's really alarming. And, and so you see kind of different facets of the dark side of the medical industry and how because there's so much money to be made they can then pad the pockets of government officials um, and allow these agendas to continue to roll forward so with that shared uh, i think that's going to be the conclusion of our new segment today and i uh, hope you guys enjoy all right man thank you for another great current news as always and uh now let's take a quick look at the rovsky Legacy Digital Pack. We're proud to announce the Rob Skiba Legacy Digital Pack, where you'll receive a digital format version of all Rob Skiba's life's work, research, and much more. As a bonus, you'll receive Jeremiah Skiba's book, Never Got to Say Goodbye, along with Sheila Skiba's best-selling expose, The Protocol That Kills. Find out what truly happened to Rob Skiba. Buy yours today. The link is in the bio or description of this video. So... Links in the bio and mustache on. It's time for an all new Opa's Corner. Take it away, Opa. My hut der hat drei Ecken. Drei Ecken hat mein Hut. Und hat er nicht drei Ecken. Das ist es nicht mein Hut. Oh boy, it's time for Opa's Corner. Oh, let's get started. Oh. One day, a florist went to a barber for a haircut. After the cut, he asked about his bill, and the barber replied, I cannot accept money from you. I'm doing community service this week. The florist was pleased and left the shop. When the barber went to open his shop the next morning, there was a thank you card and a dozen roses waiting for him at his door. Later, a cop comes in for a haircut, and when he tries to pay his bill, the barber again replied, I cannot accept money from you. I'm doing community service this week. The cop was happy and left the shop. The next morning, when the barber went to open up, there was a thank you card and a dozen donuts waiting for him at his door. Then a member of Congress came in for a haircut. And when he went to pay his bill, the barber again replied, I cannot accept money from you. I'm doing community service this week. The member of Congress was very happy and left the shop. The next morning, when the barber went to open up, 
There were a dozen members of Congress lined up waiting for a free haircut. <laughs> Diary of a Blonde. January. Took a new scarf back to the store. It was too tight. February. Fired from pharmacy job for failing to print labels. Hello! Bottles won't fit in typewriter. March. Got really excited. Finished jigsaw puzzle in six months. Box said two to four years. <laughs> April. Trapped on an escalator for hours. Power went out. May. Tried to make Kool-Aid. Wrong instructions. Eight cups of water won't fit in those tiny packets. <laughs> June. Tried to water ski. Couldn't find a lake with a slope. July. Lost breaststroke swimming contest. Learned later the other swimmers cheated. They used their arms. <laughs> August. Got locked out of my car in rainstorm. Car swamped because soft top was open. September. The capital of California is C, isn't it? Yeah. October. Hate Smarties. They are so hard to peel. November. Baked turkey for four and a half days. Instruction said one hour per pound, and I weigh a hundred and eight. <laughs> December. Couldn't call 9-11. Duh. No 11 button on the stupid phone. <laughs> Whoo! What a year. A 65-year-old lady suddenly started learning to swim instead of her usual routine of going to bingo. Everyone was curious and asked her, why the change in your interest? The lady with a look of helplessness replied, Whenever my son and daughter-in-law quarrel with each other, my daughter-in-law always asks my son, If your mom and I fall into the water, which one would you say first? So, because I don't want to put my son in a difficult position, I'm learning to swim. A few days later, her son and his wife were quarreling again, and the daughter-in-law asked, Now tell me, if your mom and I fall into the water, whom would you say first? The husband replied, I don't have to get into the water. My mom knows how to swim, and she'll save you. The wife refused to relent. No. You have to jump into the water and have to save one of us. Which one will it be? Her husband replied, Then I'm sorry to say you'll die anyway because I don't know how to swim and my mom will definitely save me first. <laughs> Finally, blonde men jokes. A blonde band is in the bathroom and his wife shouts. Did you find the shampoo? He answers. Yes, but I'm not sure what to do. It's for dry hair and I just wet mine. 
A blond man spots a letter on his doormat. It says on the envelope, do not bend. He spends the next two hours trying to figure out how to pick it up. <laughs> a blond man shouts frantically into the phone. My wife is pregnant and her contractions are only two minutes apart. Is this your first child? asks the doctor. No, he shouts. This is her husband. <laughs> a preacher was completing a temperance sermon. With great expression, he said, If I had all the beer in the world, I'd take it and throw it into the river. With even greater emphasis, he said, and if I had all the wine in the world, I'd take it and throw it into the river. And finally, he said, And if I had all the whiskey in the world, I'd take it and throw it into the river. He sat down. The song leader then stood very cautiously and announced with a smile, For our closing song, let us sing hymn number 365, Shall We Gather at the River? <laughs> A young Jewish woman visits her parents and brings her fiancé to meet them. After an elaborate dinner, the mother tells her husband to find out about the young man. The father invites the fiancé to his library for a drink. So, what are your plans? I'm a Bible scholar. Huh, a Bible scholar, huh? Admirable. But what will you do to provide a nice house for my daughter to live in? I will study and God will provide for us. And how will you buy her a beautiful engagement ring? Uh, I will concentrate on my studies. God will provide for us. And children? How will you support children? Oh, don't worry, sir. God will provide. The conversation continues like this, and each time the father questions, the young idealist insists that God will provide. Later, the mother asks, How did it go, honey? He has no job, no plans, but the good news is, he thinks I'm God. <laughs> A man was driving through West Texas one spring evening. The road was deserted and he had not seen a soul for what seemed like hours. Suddenly his car started to cough and sputter and the engine slowly died away, leaving him sitting on the side of the road in total silence. He popped the hood and looked to see if there was anything he could do to get it going again. Unfortunately, he had limited knowledge of cars, so all he could do was look at the engine. Feeling despondent as he stood looking at the gradually fading light of his flashlight, he cursed that he had not put in new batteries like he had promised himself. Suddenly, through the inky shadows, came a deep voice. It's your fuel pump. 
The man raced up quickly, striking his head on the underside of the hood. Who said that? There were two horses standing in the fenced field alongside the road, and the man was amazed when the nearest of the two horses repeated, It's your fuel pump. Tap it with your flashlight and try it again. Confused, the man tapped the fuel pump with his flashlight, turned the key, and sure enough, the engine roared to life. He muttered a short thanks to the horse and screeched away. When he reached the next town, he ran into the local bar. Give me a large whiskey, please. The rancher sitting at the bar looked at the man's ashen face and asked, What's wrong, man? You look like you've seen a ghost. It's unbelievable. The man recalled the whole tale to the rancher. The rancher took a sip of his beer and looked thoughtful. A horse, you say? Was that by any chance a white horse? Yes, it was. Am I crazy? No, you ain't crazy. In fact, you're lucky because that black horse don't know crap about cars. And now it's time for the funnies. <laughs> um, I'm going to need you to pop open the trunk too. That's him. That's the one. I'd recognize that silly little hat anywhere. Watch repair. Department of City Planning. Department of City Scheming. Uh, excuse me a sec. I want to check how many hits I got on my website. You mean? Yes, your entire species is dyslexic. It's not good, ma'am. He's got field mice. Dad, didn't we used to have a blowfish? Yes, we take mobile orders, but if you're actually inside the shop, we prefer that you speak to us. You have just won a million dollars. You will be paid in hourly installments of eight dollars, and you must be present to collect.
I ask you a question, buddy. What's the square root of 5.248? For some reason, this costume makes me want you more. I'm home. The cat and the fiddle. I like you better as a frog. Ah, no, I never said that. Ah, well, actually I did say it, but after he said it. Ah, he said it, then I said it. Ah, I'm a mimic. That's what I do. Ah. Mom! Use your inside, inside, inside voice. Here's your order, sir. A thousand business cards saying, Simon the Fisherman. Later that day, Simon, from now on you shall be known as Peter. Relax. I'm here for the pilot. I don't care if you don't like it. By God, you're going to eat it. I always wake up at 2 a.m. with these nagging thoughts like, why am I here? What's my purpose? And how many times should I smack my human's nose? All completely normal. At the Borkville, Idaho annual Ironman competition. Ernie, here's the file you wanted. Good luck. Love, Rosie. The Mayo Clinic. Uh-oh. Common Rumper Stickers of the Old West. I got lost in the Grand Canyon. Sodbusters do it in the dirt. Just say, whoa. Save the horn toads. Oh, Ginger, you look absolutely stunning. And whatever you rolled in sure does stink. You know what's funny? Paintings of Adam and Eve where they both have belly buttons. Think about that. Take as much time as you need. <laughs> I swear to God, if you sniff my butt one more time... 
And that concludes another Opa's Corner. Mein Hut, der hat drei Ecken. Drei Ecken hat mein Hut. Und hat er nicht drei Ecken, dann ist es nicht mein Hut. Opa's Corner is now available on my own YouTube channel. Like, share, and subscribe. Thank you, Opa, for another great Opa's Corner. Now it's, uh, let's get a word from our friend JJ. Are you tired of living in constant pain? Do you feel like you've tried every CBD product on the market with no relief? Look no further than JJ's Natural CBD Rub. When I was diagnosed with degenerative disc disease, this was the only product that completely took my pain away. Working with JJ has been a dream come true, and his products have completely changed my life. Don't just take my word for it. Visit JJ's website, jjcbdrub.com and read hundreds of testimonials from people whose lives have been changed by all of JJ's amazing products. And now, as a Skiba News Nation exclusive, you can get $50 off a three-pack special of JJ's Natural CBD Rub by texting CBD to 920-382-7720. Don't suffer in silence any longer. Take control of your pain today with JJ's Natural CBD Rub. Again, text CBD to 920 382-7720 for an exclusive discount and start feeling the relief you deserve. The links are in the description below. It's time for some mystery. I was so excited for today's history. Today's history, we're going to be talking about how Adolf Hitler escaped Germany and how everything doesn't match the, the full picture of what we've been told as Americans or as humans. I mean, everybody knows the one story, but let me show you this first clip, which is a preview of Hitler's Great Escape. Check this out. It's just past midnight on April 29, 1945 in Berlin, Germany. Deep within the Reich Chancellery, at the heart of the Nazi war effort, Adolf Hitler, his mistress Eva Braun, and his closest associates are hiding in an air raid shelter called the Führerbunker. Above them, Berlin is surrounded by the Soviet Red Army. It's World War II's last standoff, and one by one, the German defenses fall. Hitler and Eva have been hiding in the Führerbunker for more than three long months as Germany was slowly losing the war. For three months, Hitler had held out for a miracle, for a small chance that his army could turn it all around. But as the sound of bombs falling above him kept them up, Hitler knew that it would be wise to plan for the worse. Two days earlier, all communication from Berlin to the rest of Germany had been cut off. For two long days, he had been isolated, unsure of what was happening to his beloved Nazi army. But one thing was for sure, Hitler was going to do everything in his power to make sure he would not get taken alive. So he began to plan for the end. Just after midnight on April 29, 1945, Adolf Hitler got married to Eva Brandt in a ceremony inside the Führerbunker. Later, they hosted a small final breakfast party for the 30-something people hiding with them. And not long after, Hitler and his secretary disappeared into his office, where he put together his last will and testament and left instructions for what must happen if he died. At 4 a.m., Hitler signed the final documents, went into his room, and fell into a restless sleep as the war waged on outside. By the afternoon of April 29th, he received news from the outside, and it didn't look good. 
the Red Army was approaching the center of Berlin faster than anyone expected. And even worse, one of Hitler's closest allies, Benito Mussolini of Italy, had just been executed the day before. To celebrate, they hung Mussolini and his mistress's bodies by the heels, and then they later threw them into the gutter to be mocked by their enemies. Hitler vowed to never let the same thing happen to him and Eva. He could never accept the humiliation, even if he was already dead, but he would have to act fast. At 1am on April 30th, news reached the Führer bunker that the last of the German forces Hitler hoped would defend Berlin had just been encircled or defeated. His time was near. By late morning, the Red Army soldiers were less than 500 meters away from the Führer bunker, or just a third of a mile. Hitler's generals informed them that the German forces defending the bunker would probably run out of ammo that night, and it wouldn't be long before the Red Army was at their doorstep. In less than 24 hours, the world would know Germany had lost the war, and Hitler did not want to be allowed to see it happen. So as the day progressed, Hitler started saying his last goodbyes. His new wife, Eva Braun, insisted that if he went, she was going with him. She would rather die than risk being caught. Around midday, Hitler gave his orders for the dogs to be poisoned with cyanide. He gave Eva a cyanide pill for herself, and at 2.30pm, Hitler and Eva left for his private office, never to be seen alive again. It would only be a short while before Hitler and Eva's bodies were discovered. Sitting side by side, Eva's face showed the telltale signs of cyanide poisoning, while Hitler was slumped over with a pool of blood at his feet. He had shot himself in the head with his own pistol. In accordance with Hitler's request, Hitler's and Eva's bodies were rolled into a rug and carried out into the Chancellery's garden, where they were burned using almost 200 liters of petrol. With the sounds of war in the background, Hitler's associates saluted him one last time. And on May 1st, 1945, Hitler's death was announced to the public. The forces of Germany have surrendered to the United Nations. The official story was that he died a war hero, leading his troops in the battle against the Allies. A day later, Berlin fell to the Red Army, and according to the Soviets, soldiers have found what was left of Hitler's and Eva's body in a shallow grave and had taken them back to East Germany. And just like that, the war was over. Hitler's death was supposed to be the final victory, scattering his followers and destroying the Third Reich once and for all. But then, not long after the Battle of Berlin was won, something strange happened. Rumors started swirling that Hitler had survived. People all over the world had swore they had seen him alive. At a cafe in Austria, disguised as a woman in Ireland, walking on a street in Egypt where he had converted to Islam, on a train out of New Orleans, or landing on a beach in Argentina. And those rumors have stuck around to this day. Where else could he have gone? At Argentina. His friends went there. Thousands, if not tens of thousands of high-ranking Nazis made it there. I, I heard that uh, he flew to, to Argentina. But still, America insisted that he did in fact kill himself on that fateful day in the Führer bunker. But what if he didn't? What if Hitler actually survived and somehow escaped? It sounds fantastical until people discover something extremely suspicious. Some of Hitler's body have been preserved by the Soviets, including the piece of his skull with the bullet hole in it. It was the most definite proof that Hitler did in fact kill himself. But when that piece of skull was finally properly DNA tested in 2009, it turned out to belong to a woman. The Russians got the body. They let one genetic test occur and the body with the bullet holes that they said was Hitler. And when they did the genetic testing, it's that of a 35-year-old woman. Apparently, Hitler's body had never been found. And if his body had never been found, what proof was there that he really had killed himself? Could a man of his motivation and his resources really have faked his death? It seems at least plausible. And if he did survive, where did he go? How did he escape? The answer lies possibly in South America. So Hitler was a very, very evil man, but he wasn't as dumb as people may think he was. I mean, he was an evil genius, but more evil than anything. And the Allies wanted him to be dead so bad that they wanted you to believe the official story. I mean, look at you know what we're going to be talking about here in a little bit which is like operation paperclip and and how he could have survived Opa, what were you taught as a kid when when you were growing up about how hitler died exactly as they described 
So either Hitler was a tranny or Hitler, you know, because the DNA was a woman or, you know, they have somebody else's skull. So let's play this next clip and it's called If Hitler Survived an Operation Paperclip. When Berlin fell, the Soviets and the Allies made it their mission to find Hitler's body. A dead Hitler would be a massive blow to the Nazi army's morale. Without their beloved leader, the Allies hoped the Germans would surrender. But without a corpse, no one would ever really believe he was dead. If there was even the smallest hope that he had survived, his followers would have something to fight for. So finding Hitler's body became as important as winning the war itself. And luckily for the Soviets, it didn't take long. Within four days of the war ending, Soviet soldiers discovered a shallow grave near the entrance of the Führer bunker. In it, they found the remains of a burned body. And after hearing the stories from the Germans they had captured, they came to the conclusion that it had to be Hitler. And so they carefully collected what was left of them and sent the remains back to the strongholds in East Germany for examination. And not long after, the official announcement was made that yes, the Red Army had indeed found Hitler's body. And yes, he was dead. But behind closed doors, the Soviets weren't so sure. According to one Soviet officer, the body that the Soviet soldiers found was nothing more than quote a very poor double, end quote. During his reign, Hitler used more than 24 body doubles to stand in for him at events. One double was even shot and killed by Soviet soldiers, and the Soviets actually mistaken him for Hitler for a while before anyone got a good look at him. To the Soviets, the charred body they found also looked like it was one of Hitler's doubles. And this wasn't just some low-level officer who wasn't convinced Hitler was dead. Less than a month after the end of the Battle of Berlin, Joseph Stalin himself, the leader of the Soviet Union, had told one of President Roosevelt's advisors that Hitler was still alive. And within days, the commander who had confirmed Hitler's dead body retracted his statement and said Hitler had possibly escaped. Remember, even just the possibility of Hitler hiding out somewhere would be enough to rally his armies. So even though the Allies knew the Soviets weren't sure that they had actually found Hitler's body, no one said anything about it on record. And this was a whole two years before the Cold War, by the way. In World War II, America, Britain, and the Soviet Union were still on the same side, so it didn't make any sense for the Soviets to lie to their friends. They wanted Hitler to be dead just as much as anyone else. But while the Soviet leaders wanted to make their suspicions public, America and Britain wanted to do everything in their power to ensure that no one ever suspected Hitler was alive again, to make sure everyone believed that Hitler was dead. But to do that, they would have to call the Soviets liars. Luckily, just a few short years after the end of World War II, they finally got their chance. With World War II officially coming to an end in September 1945, without a common enemy to fight against, it put America and the Soviets at odds. And so in 1947, the Cold War officially began. And it couldn't have been a better time for America. They had been looking for a way to discredit the Soviets' whole Hitler isn't dead story for more than two years. And now this was their chance. The Soviets were communists. How could anyone believe a word they said? Obviously, the only reason they wanted people to think Hitler was still alive was to make America and Britain look bad. And if you believed that Hitler was still alive, you were buying into communist propaganda. But two could play at that game. Soon the Soviets were telling everyone that the only reason America didn't want to admit that Hitler could be alive was because America was trying to hide the fact that they were harboring and working with Nazis. And the Soviets weren't wrong. In an attempt to beat the Soviets at a nuclear arms race, America had given thousands of Germans, many of them Nazis, the chance to move to America with new identities to help America get ahead. The project was called Operation Paperclip. Gather round while I sing you of Werner von Braun, a man whose allegiance is ruled by expedience. Call him a Nazi, he won't even frown. Nazi schmazi, says Werner von Braun. And even though the Soviets were telling the truth about Operation Paperclip, America was just as good at creating propaganda to get people to believe their side of the story. 
1947, British military intelligence officer Hugh Trevor Roper published a book called The Last Days of Hitler. It was filled with what he said was definite proof that Hitler had died in the Führer bunker on April 30th, 1945. And since both America and Britain endorsed his version of events, people just believed it. After all, if you didn't believe it, you would be calling the American government a liar, and you would be siding with the communists, and no one wanted to do that. So the world just accepted that Hitler was dead and gone, and that was the end of it. But for some people, they just couldn't shake the feeling that something about the official story just wasn't right. So when the Cold War was finally over decades later, they made it their mission to find out once and for all, and they could not believe what they discovered. With Operation Paperclip, all the things about, you know, misinformation today kind of reminds me of what Jake was talking about earlier with misinformation. And if you question anything, you're a conspiracy theorist. And, you know, the people that were conspiracy theorists are going to turn out to be right, which is what I'm about to try to uh, prove to you guys. So let's play this third clip. It's called Hitler's Dead Because I Said So. What made everyone believe at first that Hitler was dead was the piece of skull that the Soviets found. According to the people the Soviet soldiers had captured in the Führer bunker, Hitler had shot himself in the head and then his body was burned. So when the soldiers found the remains of a burned body and a piece of skull with a bullet hole in it, it seemed obvious it had to be Hitler. But this was a massive violent war we're talking about. There was no way Hitler was the only person to be shot and burned. So how could the Soviets be sure? The answer is they couldn't be sure. Ever been able to independently verify who and what this body is. They let one genetic test occur and the body with the bullet holes that they said was Hitler and have said, and that's the narrative, that's the story, that's the, all the eyewitness accounts that are in, even in the vicinity and corroborating each other's testimony. Like the closest version, because none of it seems to be very accurate, is that, okay, here's Hitler's skull. And when they did the genetic testing, it's that of a 35-year-old woman. Yep, in 2009, US researchers were finally allowed access to the skull to test it for DNA. The results? It definitely did not belong to Hitler. It actually belonged to a woman between the ages of 20 and 40. Everyone was quick to point out that the test didn't mean anything though. Hadn't Hitler's wife Ava also been burned and buried next to her husband? So obviously the skull could have been hers. But that didn't make sense either, because Ava never shot herself. She died from cyanide poisoning, not a bullet wound to the head. What made things even more confusing was that after the US researchers released their findings to the public, the vice president of the Russian state archive, where the skull and part of a jawbone was stored, actually came out and said, quote, no one claimed that was Hitler's skull, end quotes. So for 60 years, the world believed Hitler was dead and that the Soviets had his body, and they just let everyone continue thinking that, even though they had no real proof that it actually belonged to him, the news sent shockwaves around the world. Could it be that Hitler had really been alive all this time? It would be a massive embarrassment if it was true, especially since America had been so sure that he was dead. So obviously, the Americans needed to save face. So America quickly jumped on the only other piece of evidence available, the jawbone and teeth. Found with the skull, a piece of what everyone believed to be Hitler's jaw and teeth had also been found in the shallow grave outside of the Führer bunker. Throughout his life, Hitler had notoriously bad teeth. By the time he died, he only had a few of his own teeth left. The rest were all dentures and bridges. And in 2017, French researchers were allowed to examine the teeth for the first time. Comparing this jawbone and teeth to x-rays taken of Hitler in 1944 proved that the teeth were a perfect match. But not so fast. The jawbone and teeth have been under Russian lock and key for more than 70 years. But just one little examination and everyone agrees that it proves Hitler died in the bunker, they literally just looked on an x-ray, looked at his teeth, and said yeah, that is definitely Hitler. Didn't the Soviets do the exact same thing with the skull, only to be proven wrong 60 years later? Wouldn't it be better to test Hitler's actual body for DNA? Well, unfortunately, that would be impossible, since the KGB actually destroyed everything except the skull and teeth in 1970. Very convenient, wouldn't you say? 
So whether or not you believe the thief actually belonged to Hitler isn't really about science or evidence. It's more about how much do you trust these governments to actually tell the truth about this. But what about the witnesses? Even though there were around 30 people present in the Führerbunker the day Hitler supposedly died, only a handful of Hitler's closest allies actually knew what happened in those last few hours before the Red Army arrived. Hitler's attendant, a man named Heinz Ling, and Martin Bormann, Hitler's personal secretary, were the ones to discover their bodies. They informed a small group of around six of Hitler's highest ranking officers about what happened. And as instructed, a few members of the group wrapped Hitler's and Ava's bodies in rugs and carried them upstairs to the garden. As news of the Führer's death spread through the bunker, everyone came to catch a glimpse of his body. But all they could make out was the top of his head and his shoes. The rest of his body, including his face, were completely covered. Otto Gunsche, one of the Nazi officers present, specifically said, quote, The only thing that could be seen of Hitler who was wrapped in a blanket were his lower legs with those well-known black trousers, black silk socks, and black leather shoes, end quotes. Without the teeth and skull, this is what the Americans based their belief Hitler was dead on? A dozen or so people who saw someone wearing black pants, socks, and shoes wrapped in a rug? But wait, there's more. See, at least four people were allowed into the study to help cover up Hitler's and Ava's bodies. Half of them committed suicide the next day or died trying to escape, and the other half? They were caught by the Soviets. And they were 100% sure that Hitler killed himself. But don't get too excited, because two or three of Hitler's highest ranking Nazi officers saying that he definitely killed himself isn't exactly a reliable testimony. Think about it. If Hitler actually faked his death, why would his closest loyalists give him up when they had the perfect cover story? And as it turns out, America's FBI also shared the same doubts. The Israelis, um, the British, and the Germans and Americans in the past 20 years have been consistently declassifying documents. And there were a bunch of specifically FBI documents that we were spending millions and millions of dollars actively searching for Hitler after the war. Hoover was like, no, 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 send more FBI agents to South America, um, to North Africa, go to the Canary Islands, go to Spain, trying to find out where this guy went. If the American government was so sure Hitler was dead, why were they sending dozens of FBI agents all over the world to look for him? In 2017, a set of heavily redacted FBI documents were declassified. One of these documents was a report from a man who allegedly helped six top Argentinian officials bring Hitler to Argentina via submarine to hide him deep in the Andes Mountains. In a totally separate case, another informant told a reporter from the Los Angeles Examiner that he had actually met Hitler on a beach in Argentina just two weeks after the fall of Berlin. So if the Americans knew for sure that Hitler was dead, why would they spend so much money following his trail? And why would they only declassify the documents only after those French researchers announced the teeth belonged to Hitler? And if Hitler did escape, why did he choose South America? So, Jake, is it fair to say that that body was not Adolf Hitler's? You know what it reminds me of is uh, some of the reports from uh, Osama bin Laden, mm -hmm. uh, how it was very vague, there was no body because it was, you know... But you question it and you're yeah, in trouble. Yeah, exactly. And um, I can understand the justification for arguing that he was, you know, committed suicide because it helped, you know, pacify the Nazis who are still fighting. Yep. Uh, but I do think there seems to be evidence that he could have fleed to Argentina. Well, there's no proof. There's no definitive proof that he that his body is anywhere. What happened to him? Yep, what know. happened to him? So that's what we're going to be talking about in this next clip. Cut that out. So you're Adolf Hitler and you've just lost World War II. You're surrounded by tanks and Soviet soldiers are on your doorstep and you're pretty sure you're going to die. But you've also spent the last 12 years planning contingencies for a day like this. As the most hated man on Earth, you always knew something like this could happen. So you made a plan for it just in case. And luckily, you have a few good friends you can rely on. And one of them is about to help you escape. This is Juan Peron, 
a die-hard fascist and the vice president of Argentina in 1945. Juan Perón would go on to become the president of Argentina as well. Both Chile and Argentina back-to-back had fascist regimes. You had uh, Perón, who was part of the Nazi party starting all the way back into the mid-30s. Argentina had always been a popular destination for German immigrants. And thanks to Perón's fascist beliefs, Argentina decided to stay neutral throughout World War II. When Perón eventually became president in 1946, he secretly gave orders to his diplomats and intelligence officers to create escape routes for his German and Nazi buddies. They called these escape routes rat lines, and they used them to smuggle thousands of high-ranking Nazis out of Europe to South America. At Perón's orders, the Argentine consulate in Barcelona issued thousands of false passports to the Nazis so they could leave the country. From Argentina, these Nazi fugitives were moved all over South America, eventually settling down in countries like Chile, Brazil, and of course Argentina. And these weren't just some low-level Nazi party members or soldiers, by the way. These were guys like Adolf Eichmann, also known as the world's most wanted Nazi. He was the mastermind behind Hitler's final solution to kill all Jews in Europe. And he was also behind the Nazi death camps like Auschwitz. Eichmann was given an Argentine visa and a fake Red Cross passport that he used to board a steamship to Buenos Aires, where he lived for more than a decade before being tracked down by Mossad. Another Nazi fugitive that ended up in South America was Josef Mengele, also known as the Angel of Death for conducting horrifying experiments on prisoners at Auschwitz. He spent three years hiding in Germany before traveling to Argentina via Italy, where he lived until he died from a stroke in 1979. And then there was Erich Pripke, the middleman between the Nazis and the Vatican, who sent 2,000 Jews from Rome to their deaths in Auschwitz. Like Adolf Eichmann, Pripke escaped to Argentina on a fake passport with a visa provided by one of his Argentinian contacts. He lived in a small town in Argentina for almost 46 years, managing a German school, until he was finally exposed by a reporter in 1994. Pripke was eventually extradited to Italy, where he faced a life sentence under house arrest. He died in 2013 at 100 years old. Thousands, if not tens of thousands, of the highest-ranking Nazis escaped to South America just like this. And it was all thanks to Perón's sympathy towards the Nazi cause. But Perón didn't just decide to support Nazis once the war ended. He was a longtime fascist, remember? And as Adolf Hitler, you knew Perón idolized you. He would welcome you into Argentina with open arms. And there was no way you could ever stay in Europe anyways. It would be too easy to recognize you. But Argentina, with all those mountains and jungles and small towns that no one's ever heard about, it was the perfect place to disappear. All you had to do was escape the Führer bunker, get word to your friends, and they would take it from there. And so, as the Red Army crept closer to your hideout, you put your plan into action. It's the morning of April 28, 1945, and Berlin is under attack. As your friend Benito Mussolini and his mistress are being brutally executed in Italy, you and Ava prepare for a daring escape. Always planning for the unthinkable, you had instructed builders to create at least five secret tunnels leading out of the Führer bunker in case you needed to escape. As night falls, one of your most trusted police chiefs, a man named Heinrich Mueller, knocks quietly on your study door. If your plan is going to work, you need to make sure as few people as possible see you leaving. Only your top generals and advisors have been brought in on the secret. Quietly, you and Ava make your way out of your study and down the passageways until you reach the entrance of one of your escape tunnels. You walk in silence, hoping that the Soviets haven't discovered the tunnel's exits yet. A few minutes later, you reach the end of the tunnel, Mueller exits first, and then calls back to you that the coast is clear. You, Ava, and Mueller make it back to the center of Berlin. There, a wide boulevard had been turned into a makeshift runway. Your personal plane, piloted by Captain Peter Baumgart, waits in silence at the end of the runway. Baumgart would later swear under oath that he had indeed flown you and Ava out of Berlin on April 29, 1945. Without a word, you and Ava get in, and a few minutes later, you're in the air. Back on the ground, Mueller sneaks back into the Führer bunker via the tunnels. A while later, Yor and Ava's lookalikes are quietly escorted into the bunker through one of the tunnels as well. Dressed in Yor and Ava's clothes, only your closest friends will be able to tell they were imposters. But in order to convince everyone that it was really you and Ava, they would have to get a little creative. 
And what screams man about to kill himself more than getting married to a woman you refused to marry for more than 15 years? So Mueller instructed the lookalikes to get dressed and prepare for a wedding. And on April 29, the fake Hitler and Ava were married. By then, Mueller was sure that you and Ava had reached safety, but he waited another day just in case. On Monday, April 30th, he slipped a sedative into the fake Hitler and Ava's drinks. Then he dragged their bodies into your study, with the help of the other officers in on the plan, forced cyanide pills down their throats, and then to make extra sure that they were dead, he took the pistol you had given them and shot them both at close range, before placing the gun back in fake Hitler's hand. A few minutes later, your attendant and secretary slipped into the room, they checked to see that it really looked like you were dead, and then they informed the rest of the officers outside. The Fuhrer didn't want people to see him like this, they said, so they rolled up the bodies in rugs, making sure everyone saw their clothes and hair but not their faces, and then they took them to the garden to be burned. It was there that the Soviets would later discover your bodies, but the bodies had been so badly burned that they couldn't be sure. Their only proof? The woman's skull with a bullet hole in it. The skull belonged to the fake Ava. While Berlin fell, you and Ava had made it safely to Spain. There, you and Ava switched planes, you shade off your mustache and change your clothes to avoid detection, you were already sent word to Perón that you were heading to Argentina, and he promised to do everything he could to help you once you arrived. With a new plane, you made your way to the Canary Islands, a set of Spanish islands off the coast of northwestern Africa. The further you got from Europe, the safer you and Ava felt. And from there, the man you left in charge of Germany, Karl Donitz, provided you with everything you needed to get to South America. Some say you and Ava traveled by U-boats, others by ship, but whatever it was, you and Ava finally arrived safely in Argentina, where Perón's officials were waiting to welcome you. At first, the officials took you to a remote farm in the Patagonia Mountains. You were sick, weak, and in no condition to move yet. As the months passed, you slowly regained some strength, but the mental humiliation and anger of losing the war never left. As you heard reports of loss after loss from your beloved Germany, you felt abandoned. For months, you considered just killing yourself after all. As a dictator, you had been used to the admiration the awe that the people in Germany treated you with. And even though you were safe in Argentina, you would now be forced to live in hiding, never hearing Hail Hitler ever again. Or so you thought. Because as the months turned into years, and more and more Nazis fled to South America, you started hearing stories of a brand new type of community spreading across the continent. A secret South American Nazi paradise. So it's established that Argentina and the Vatican helped Nazis escape. And not, not just any Nazis, some of the highest ranking, most evil Nazis there ever were. Adolf Eichmann, who created Auschwitz. Josef Mengele, AKA the Angel of Death. I mean, these people with the help of the Vatican and the Argentinian government helped these people escape. So is, Opa, is that, is that, is that crazy? That theory crazy? Uh, I think it's uh, very believable. I mean, it makes more sense than the official story, I would say, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, what we're going to be showing in this next clip is called Nazi Paradise in the Fourth Reich. So let's play that clip. The Nazis that escaped to South America brought their beliefs with them. Within just a few years, dozens of all German communities have popped up across Argentina, Chile, and Brazil. And as Hitler, you couldn't be happier. What you got in South America were isolated German-only communities. You could go into Bariloche, Argentina, and you know I'd be like, Buenos dias, amigos, and they're like, Guten Morgen? I'm like, oh, I thought we spoke Spanish. These communities looked almost exactly like small German towns. No one in them spoke the native language, only German, and none of the children went to public schools, only to private German-speaking ones. None of these towns ate South American food, they stuck to traditional German cuisine, and what made you the proudest of all is that every last one of them was a Nazi. They would fly the Nazi flag, decorate their homes with pictures of you, sign their letters with swastika stamps, and teach their kids about the great Uncle Adolf. One of the most well-known of these towns was Bariloche in Argentina. In Bariloche, the Germans built a restaurant called the Berghof after Hitler's famous holiday home. 
Yosef Mengele, the Angel of Death, would often visit to enjoy the town's German architecture and cultural festivals, while Ere Pripke became the director of Bariloche's German school and hosted Nazi-themed dinner parties with his wife. It made your Nazi heart happy that your beliefs were still being upheld, even if it wasn't in Germany. And the Nazi influence over South America didn't end there. Just across the border, Chile welcomed the Nazis too. In 1961, Paul Schaefer, a German pedophile who escaped Europe, created another almost all-German community called Colonia Dinidad. Together, him and another Nazi colonel, who had directly helped Hitler murder 100,000 people, established a cult that mainly targeted kids. Colonial Dinidad would become the source of hundreds of horror stories. When Augusto Pinochet took over Chile in 1973, he loved sending all of his political prisoners over to Colonia Dinidad so they could be tortured and killed using Nazi techniques. And as more and more stories of German towns and communities like Colonia Dinidad and Bariloche popped up, you as Adolf Hitler couldn't help but feel hopeful. Maybe the fight wasn't over yet. If there were still tens of thousands of people willing to follow you, and if so many countries still openly supported you, maybe there was a chance you could still achieve your dream. And so you got back down to business, this time planning the Fourth Reich. Tired of hiding in the shadows, some people claimed that Hitler craved the glory, admiration, and adrenaline of the good old days. So you started looking for a way to reestablish yourself while still staying underground. According to reports received by the FBI, Hitler lived in an underground bunker in Argentina with two more body doubles, and he used a bank account given to him by one of his German-Argentinian supporters. From the bunker, you planned the creation of the Fourth Reich, which you hoped would give way to Germans ruling the world for a thousand years. But what you didn't realize was just how much the world had changed in the years since the end of the war. The world has simply moved on. The balance of power has shifted to the Americans and the Soviets. And with more and more details about your plans and location being leaked to the FBI, and with no plausible plan to restore your rule over Germany, you eventually gave up. When you started your rise, you had been young, angry, passionate. Now you were just old and tired. And as much as you hated to admit it, your dreams of the Fourth Reich were coming to an anticlimactic end. All that was left for you and Ava was to continue hiding and to hope that you would never be found. So how sweet, they got to retire and you know, all this stuff and the FBI is still looking for him. So how crazy is that? I mean, what are your thoughts up to this point, Jake? Yeah, I think just how, why Argentina? Because I've heard several locations for Nazi escapers like Antarctica, uh, Argentina. Um, now, it, it just it strikes me as interesting. Why did they choose that location? You know? Yeah because they were very friendly with Argentina. Yeah, the, the, Ar were. the Argentine, okay. Argentinian, or however you say it, their president, or soon-to-be president, was a Nazi, a deep-down Nazi. So oh, wow. he helped them get out with the Vatican. And um, if, if you guys are interested more about this topic, there's a really, really good show on the History Channel called Hunting Hitler. It's, it's by far proved to me that, that Hitler didn't die in Germany. And I mean, there, there are whole communities in South America that are only German. Weird. Blue-eyed, blonde-haired, German-speaking. <laughs> uh, swastikas on the, on the mantles, you know, like the, this, wow. they look at them as heroes and it's, and it's very, very sick and disturbing, but they don't know any, any different, you know? So we're gonna play this last clip and it's called The Forgotten Fuhrer. With no chance of ever reliving the glory of Nazi Germany, you and Ava started looking for somewhere to spend the rest of your lives. As much as you wanted to avoid getting caught, you couldn't resist the temptation of living somewhere close to one of those all-German communities. And out of all of them, Bariloche seemed like the best choice. 
but you weren't going to make the same mistakes as all your other South American Nazis that got caught. If you were going to live near Bariloche, it would have to be somewhere isolated, far away from everyone and everything. And that's when you found the perfect hideaway, the Nako House. Built by an architect who helped create homes for many other Nazi fugitives during and after the war, the Inako House looked almost exactly like your famous holiday home. The property sat on the edge of a large lake in the middle of an Argentinian jungle. And although it was in the same region as Bariloche, it was remote and very difficult to get to, exactly what you would want in a good hiding place. For years, you and Ava lived quietly in the Inako House, never going out much or having many visitors. But over time, Ava got restless. During the war, she loved the attention, admiration, and excitement of being Hitler's mistress. But here in the middle of nowhere, with no guests and no dinner parties, her whole image of you changed. You weren't a feared dictator anymore. You were just an old sick man waiting to die. And so around 1954, Eva left and moved to another Argentine town. Some alleged that you and her had a daughter, but no one could ever know for sure. And with Eva gone, your life became even more quiet. Only a select few of your German allies knew where you lived, or that you were even alive. And even though the locals would sometimes pass by with their boats, or walk past your house to town, and many suspected that it was you that lived there, the belief was that Adolf Hitler had died in 1945. So it didn't matter what some villagers had to say. If America said Hitler was gone, then he was gone. And maybe that was a good thing. In 1962, 17 years after escaping Berlin, it was believed you had finally died, forgotten and alone in your remote hideouts. It's been more than 70 years since Hitler allegedly committed suicide at the end of World War II. And even though official sources have done their best to insist Hitler really died back then, stories and evidence of the contrary had never stopped pouring in. In and around Bariloche today, the idea that Hitler escaped and lived in the Inako house is an open secret. Everyone talks about the secretive German couple who lived in the jungle and only had one or two select visitors. And then there's the issue of the skull and the teeth. Both could have been proven once and for all that Hitler was dead, but no one seems to be able to run the test they need to do it. And can you really trust something that has been hidden by the Soviet Union and then Russia for more than 50 years? But those aren't the only clues that point to Hitler's survival. The same witnesses that America have pointed to as proof that Hitler was really dead, many of them changed their story later on. One of the men who claimed he saw Hitler's face after he had shot himself later said that the body was actually covered with a blanket and he had not seen his face at all. And when the blood on the sofa where Hitler had died was tested, it didn't even match his blood type. And that's according to Colonel William Heimlich, the guy in charge of America's intelligence investigation into Hitler's death. Then there's the story of Philip Citron, an SS soldier who said Hitler had been in Colombia and then traveled to Argentina in 1955. Citron even had a picture of himself with a man he said was Hitler, which he sent to the CIA. According to Citron, the man in the picture was called Adolf Schettlenmeyer and he lived in the Colombian town with other former Nazis until 1955. Over and over again, people would come forward with stories of seeing or meeting Hitler alive, and while most of them were obviously fake, told by people who were desperate for attention, many of them were just a little bit too realistic, too plausible. Are there any legitimate eyewitness accounts of Hitler in South America? Absolutely, potentially. Whoa. I eyewitness accounts, I saw him get off a boat, I saw him meet here. If it was just some person saying it, it's almost meaningless. But if you look at the context of who this person is, the wealth that they have that they shouldn't have, like, can, can you explain how you got so rich in two generations? For decades after World War II, the CIA and FBI hunted down every Hitler clue they could find. But were they just being thorough and chasing down every lead? Or were they genuinely worried that Hitler may have survived? As of today, the evidence that Hitler survived is definitely not 100% conclusive but neither is the evidence that he had committed suicide. All we know for sure is that the way history is written, the black and white depiction of a mentally ill Hitler killing himself at the last minute is probably not true, and the chances of anyone ever conclusively discovering the truth today is nearly impossible. 
So that's all I got for history today. I would love to hear what you guys think. Do you think Hitler survived or if he really killed himself in Germany? Uh, let us know in the comment section. So you got some memes for me, Jake? Yeah, we got a couple as right. submitted by Opa this week. So we'll go through those. All right. Me I know you're a little younger than I am. I've adopted the attitude of the great Negro, Negro leagues went on to become Negro. Negro. All right, hit it, Opa. Here's uh, Jeffrey Epstein uh, arguing with people. I didn't kill myself. Change my mind. <laughs> and then, of course, who <laughs> lines up first to change his mind, right? Good old Hillary. All righty. This is not an exit. If caught using, you will be asked to leave. <laughs> This one uh, was an interesting picture. Uh, one of three centaur burials discovered in 1980 by the Archaeological Society of Argos Oristico, eight kilometers northeast of Volos, Greece. Now, I, I'm a little skeptical of this, but uh, we do know that there was uh, some attempts at genetic corruption in the scriptures, and so I found this picture very interesting. Uh, you know, but honestly, it just looks like they stuck a hell, a horse skeleton on, you know, onto a human, uh, half skeleton. So very interesting. <laughs> like a Fiji mermaid. Yep. If you live in a country where you can be arrested for fishing without a license, but not for entering that country illegally, <laughs> it's safe to say that country is run by idiots. <laughs> yep. Oh boy. If Planet of the Apes had been made in Minnesota. Gosh darn you. Gosh darn you all to heck. <laughs> okay. Uh, it's sad world when you're a son. Uh, it's a sad world when your seven-year-old son can't pretend he's an Indian, but a grown man can pretend he's a woman. <laughs> yeah. Uh, egg shortage. Because hens identifying as roosters. Uh-oh. It's even spreading to our livestock. Uh, hey, but the engine still runs. Hey, well, that's good. <laughs> we should tour the country in that. Man. Uh, what did the triangle say to the circle? You're pointless. <laughs> I read old books because I would rather learn from those who built civilization than those who tore it down. <laughs> Although I will say history is written by the victors and, uh, we don't really know, uh, you know how many things are I don't know, fact fact and fiction but uh you know there is a, a line of truth we have to depend on with those in the past that's so, what skipping his nation is for yeah, seeking out the truth all right as a kid i used to watch the wizard of oz and wondered how someone could talk without a brain now all i have to do is watch a white house press conference <laughs> <laughs> oh man after the second tab of LSD, Bert <laughs> begins to read the text above him. Oh, <laughs> uh, don't do drugs, kids. All right. As you can see, the larger truck form a protective barrier around the infants of the herd. Nature <laughs> is beautiful. <laughs> Did you know that in 1884, the first production standard electric car in the world capable of being reproduced and sold to the public was revealed? 
Did you know that by early 1900, a third of all vehicles on the road were electric? They started to disappear rapidly around 1920 with the introduction of gasoline and Henry Ford. Ferdinand Porsche, the founder of the eponymous uh, sports car, uh, produced an electric vehicle called the P in 1898 before creating the world's first hybrid offering, which was powered by both electricity and a combustion engine. Mercedes-Benz also offered an electric model called the Mercedes Mixed in 1906. This car was adopted as a taxi in the cities and even became a race car in 1907. And we've come full circle as we try to return to the electric car uh, world of the past, I guess, with all mm -hmm. the recent uh, green pushes to shut down combustion engine vehicles. That's crazy. <laughs> Definitive proof of global warming. 1980s underwear. 18, 1940s underwear. 1980s and 2010. And oh my goodness. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know about that. Men, 1973. Men in 2023. Not all of us. Not all. Not all men, that's for sure. But a lot of them. I know the voices aren't real, but man, do they come up with some great ideas. <laughs> Oh boy. Yeah. How to add 1 million in value to any home in Texas? Add a Dr. Pepper machine <laughs> on the front porch. <laughs> That's true. The more you look, the worse it gets. <laughs> what a combo car that is. Oh my goodness. That's a truck. It's Tomator and Lightning McQueen. It's Tomator and Lightning McQueen together. Uh, during the filming of the first Jurassic Park movie, Steven Spielberg had extra children in case the dinosaurs <laughs> ate one of them to not slow down production. <laughs> oh, man. If there's a heaven... Uh, okay. If there's a heaven's no and a hell yes, why isn't there a purgatory maybe? <laughs> oh, man. We're going to start saying that. Purgatory maybe. Uh, the statue of the son was made from pieces removed from the statue of the father, representing what parents do to build the lives of their children. Wow, what a beautiful little representation there. It's very cool. Uh, here's uh, some famous rockers and uh, children pictures. Uh, Johnny Rodden, Chuck Berry, Steven Tyler, mm -hmm. Tom Waits, uh, Wait. uh, Janis Joplin, Ozzy Osbourne, <laughs> Jim Morrison, David Bowie, Keith Richards looks the same. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy that's funny this is what irony means you buy an electric car to save the planet and a tree kills it oof attention thieves please carry ID so we can notify next of kin <laughs> what a scary sign there redneck weather rope if the rope is wet rain moving windy hot sunny cool cloudy stiff Cold, white, snowy, gone, take shelter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. The awkward moment when you drive your Chevy to the levee and the levee isn't dry. This <laughs> is what happens when you're drinking whiskey and rye. I said Diet Coke. <laughs> yeah, that's that's our, uh, you. You know, our gluttonous culture for you. Oh, my goodness. Uh, welcome to my office. <laughs> Oh, that is the coolest desk I've ever seen. Just a fish tank. Boring of the waterbed. Try yeah. the water desk. Caution. Trees don't move. 
Wow. Did that guy... No way. It's got to be a mannequin. Yeah. Okay, back in my day, we didn't wear helmets. We just lie there unconscious until someone came to get us for dinner. <laughs> yeah, I, I think we're like one of the last generations that like actually played outside. Oh, yeah. Yeah, once no the... Helmets. Yeah, once the... The phone generation, you know, uh, I'm, I'm already getting older. You had one job. <laughs> All the streetlights are backwards. That's funny. Caution, floor covered with political promises. And you know what that is. All right, the average human walks 900 miles per year and drinks 22 gallons of beer, which means the average human gets 41 miles to the gallon. <laughs> What kind of human drinks 22 gallons of beer a year? Oh my goodness. Maybe it's non-alcoholic. When your non-metal friends listen to metal with you. Whoa. <laughs> What's he listening to? Alright. Hacker. I have all your passwords. Me. OMG. Thank you. What are they? <laughs> Has anyone tried unplugging the United States and plugging it back in? That's a good idea. <laughs> Let's get it going. Come on. Trump 2024. <clears throat> Redneck word of the day. Wrecked them. I had two nice four-wheelers before I wrecked them. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what a sign. Big poop ahead. At least they're proud Yikes. of it. Don't run into it. And then my childhood drove by. Look, we got the That's Herbie, Herbie and the Jurassic, Jurassic Park. Park car. There's actually Batman. one of those by the house. Batman. Does back the DeLorean. Yep. Back and Ghostbusters. Wow. Yikes. Did you know that it costs thirteen thousand to twenty thousand dollars to replace a Tesla battery? Keep that in mind when pushing for electric vehicles. Uh, is that a hearse that says we sell used body parts? Yep. Wow. I've always wanted a hearse. Is that weird? I think it would be great for like a camping vehicle. You just put yeah. bed in the back. YouTube tutorial video. Hello guys. Today I'm going to show you some simple beginner chords. The chords. Very true. Finger pretzel. Nice. And a guitar vehicle. Very unique www.guitarsnotguns.org <laughs> What does that say? Guitars not guns? Uh, oh, it must be like a, a like a protest vehicle. Check out this old photo from the 50s. McDonald's Burgers. Is that a DeLorean? Oh, I get it. Back to the Future. Oh, wow. This is a ship. Shipping ships. Shipping, shipping ships. That's amazing. That's cool. Is that a... What is that? Next to the mobile Yeah. Combo vehicle. It looks like a toy car, though, honestly. Um, this is just marginally funny. <laughs> is that butter? No, it's Stonehenge. I can't believe it's not butter. Wow. Highway agency. Work starts here. 5th January for 147 years. Delays possible. True. Shh, don't wake them. The trucks are sleeping. I have seen that uh, driving after a snowstorm. It, it's just they just line the side of the road. 
But truckers got to make their quota, I guess, and they don't, you know, they keep driving in the snow. Deep thought of the day. When you clean out a vacuum cleaner, you become a vacuum cleaner. Yep. Whoa. Profound. Whoa. That is a cool motorcycle. Bumblebee the crotch rocket. Cool. All right. Camouflage level anti-theft. Oh. So it's like a super fancy butt, like bus van thing that's got some kind of wrap that looks like rust prepare for emergency saucer separation what are all these combo vehicles that are like half truck half car half whatever half electric what's going on please close the gate the unfinished granite obelisk in egypt was carved from a single rock 3500 years ago how do you think the ancients were planning on lifting this? A uh, complex system of sand uh, traps and, you know, I don't know, man. That's that's a huge obelisk. Mm -hmm. I do know that the Temple of Jerusalem, uh, allegedly, uh, there's some, you know, lore out there that the Nephilim helped Solomon build it. Mm. Uh, but uh, I can imagine, you know, you... you you know some of the giant people that existed uh they still probably had to use some ingenious techniques i mean we see some oh, crazy yeah. architecture in machu picchu and um you know the ancient megalithic ancient megalithic creations all right let's do uh two more here we have uh a interesting uh guy coming home from home depot uh <laughs> loaded up to high heaven with a bunch of uh, pallets. <laughs> That's the definition of make it in one trip. I hope you make it. <laughs> All right. And last meme for today. Notice the rest of USA. Rangers won the World Series and we didn't burn down a city. Loot stores or turn over cars. Good job, Texas. Wow. So a report on that. You guys have been all excited about the Rangers in the oh, recent yeah. episodes. What happened with them? As they won the World Series. They did? Yeah. I didn't even know. Yeah. What? Wow. There's the pennant right there. Congratulations, you Rangers fans. I, uh, it's about time. I, I Personally, I've never been, you know, super into, you know, keeping up with uh, mainstream sports. I, I did rugby in high school and then uh, had some injuries and stuff, but... I, I remember hearing this funny saying told to me by a, a pastor once. He said, thousands of years ago, the ancients worshipped Baal, you know, that false god. Well, today, we worship football and baseball. <laughs> but no, in all seriousness, congratulations. I'm, uh, I'm happy you. for you guys. You. you can rep your you know, ranger team. Any, any ranger can reach out and you can be on the show. I would love that. All right. Well, Jake, thank you for another great current news. Memes, as always. Opa, thank you for another great Opus Corner. I guess you've contributed with the memes, too, so thank you. I hope you guys enjoyed my history segment today. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Never quit fighting. Let no man deceive you. Thank you for coming alongside us as we fight for justice and our quest for truth. So subscribe and stay tuned. Like to submit a story, topic, or have any other inquiries, please email submit at skibanewsnation.com. Also, you can email Jeremiah Skiba personally 
at jeremiah at skibanewsnation.com. Also, email Jake personally at jake at skibanewsnation.com. If you want to write us a letter, send us something, help support us, or just say hi, please send your letter to Jeremiah Skiba, P.O. Box 560-271, The Colony, Texas 75056. If you write us a letter, I'll do my best to write you back. Hey, Skiba News Nation family, thank you for watching. Please like, share, subscribe, and click that notification bell so you never miss an episode of Skiba News Nation. If you want to help support us, please consider becoming a Patreon where you will get exclusive content, shoutouts, and much more. And you can also support our channel by getting yourself some new Skiba News Nation merch. Thank you for coming on this journey with us as we continue to stay on the quest for truth. Huge shout out to all our Patreon supporters. Thank you so much for your support. We couldn't do this show without you. If you want to help support us, go to patreon.com forward slash Skiba News Nation. Also, you can listen to Skiba News Nation podcast on your favorite podcast platform.